half an hour here on BBC Three Counties Radio with Ian Lee. Major changes to the disability benefit system start to take effect today. The disability living allowance is being gradually replaced with the new personal independence payment, starting with new claimants in the north of England. Ministers say claimants should be get a more fairer assessment, but the disability charity scope says a financial lifeline's being cut and 600,000 people will eventually lose their support. Locally, supermarket chain Sainsbury has been accused of holding on to retail space in Milton Keynes Centre. It comes as it still has an empty building it vacated four years ago. With Retro's now vacating the centre, it's feared the store's former shop, Food Centre, is seen as unattractive by retailers. Well, Sainsbury says it's been investigating a number of options with its landlords for the future use of the unit, but there are still issues which need to be sorted first. A post-mortem's due to take place later on in a man's body, which was discovered in the canal in Leighton Buzzard yesterday. Police say they're not treating his death as suspicious and are carrying out investigations to try to establish his identity. Police believe a fire at a Luton Primary School at the weekend was started deliberately. A first-floor classroom at Downside School was damaged in the blaze on Saturday evening. Scientists from the University of Warwick say they've found a way of cutting the amount of fat in chocolate by half. Until now, it's been difficult to remove it without changing the texture. But researchers say they can now take out the fat and replace it with another liquid. Jason Palmer has the details. The trick, it seems, is to use agar, a widely available gelling agent. Thoroughly blended bits of it, the Warwick researchers say, act as tiny sponges that soak up any liquid. Fruit juice, plain water, even alcohol. In sport, MK Dons remained seven points of the playoffs in League One after getting only a goalless draw from visitors Crawley at the weekend. Where then we're going to see the chance of a few isolated showers, but most places dry temperatures 8 degrees Celsius. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio first for news. Morning, dear listener, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. No need to panic, no need to panic. I know exactly what's going on here. I'm not just sitting here having a chat with my team. No, I know, I know what's going on. And what is going on this morning? Hang on a second. Lots. And can I just say, this show is presented by a new, cured, speed-aware driver. Yeah, my speed-awareness driving course on Friday. Wasn't as much fun as you all told me it was going to be. If anything, I would say it was a little bit dull. A little bit, a little bit dull. Four hours of really boring <laughs> speed awareness talks. Oh, yeah, yeah. The guy that took it was a character. But I, I am cured. I'm actually cured. Uh, and I no longer do, no, don't, don't speed anymore. Why would I? I know the stats. I don't remember the stats, but I remember being told the stats. And basically, speed is bad. Lots coming up this morning, including... Bedfordshire police have apologised after a woman was handcuffed for demanding to see her medical notes. Our reporter, Lorna Hankin, has been following the story and she'll be joining us next. A Luton woman has come to this programme to warn you about a new type of scam. She doesn't want other people to fall victim to the same trick. It's When you hear it, it's quite incredible what these cheeky scamsters did. I'll, I'll tell you what in the next half an hour. And... We'll find out why Bedford could put itself on the map. Technically, it is on maps already, otherwise people wouldn't go there. As the place where King Offa was laid to rest. Yes, King Offa. No, I hadn't heard of him until Friday either, but we'll hear more about King Offa shortly. Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Or, look, the phone lines are completely free. 
Who's going to be the first person to call in? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a 67-year-old woman who was handcuffed for demanding to see her medical notes has received an apology from Bedfordshire Police. Mary Curswell went to Biggleswade Health Centre to check for corrections following a mix-up with another patient's details. Our reporter, Lorna Hankin, has been following this story. Good morning, Lorna. Morning. Explain what happened. Well, Mrs Curswell is a retired scientist from Biggleswade. She said that she was telephoned by Biggleswade Health Centre in October saying her kidney condition demanded an urgent urine test. Now she told them she was perfectly healthy but the surgery was adamant her records showed she was a heavy smoker, suffered from Alzheimer's disease, had a kidney condition, had undergone a um, hysterectomy and a double hip replacement. Gosh that's a a, a list of predicaments. What what happened then? Well she went to the surgery to ask for her full 43 page long medical notes but after allegedly being told the manager was unavailable and she'd have to wait she refused to leave. Now a police community support officer then came to the surgery and asked her to leave but she said she'd already paid £10 to access the information. She was then handcuffed and escorted out of the building. She was unable to see her full medical records and staged a sit-in protest but police were called and she was escorted out in handcuffs. What did the police say at the time? Well Bedfordshire police said officers attended the practice in Saffron Road over reports of a breach of the peace and that handcuffing was standard practice but they have since apologised over the handling of the case. Now Chief Inspector Mark Upex said I have spoken with Mrs Curswell on two occasions and while she does not wish to make a formal complaint she did raise some concerns about the actions taken by the officers i've agreed with her that officers could have acted in a less intrusive manner and have apologized to her for this the officers involved have been spoken to and advised about their future conduct mrs curswell was satisfied with this outcome handcuffing a 67 years was she was she 67 handcuffing a, a, a woman like that does seem a little bit extreme what has mary curswell said about it well since then she's read Registered with another practice, and she's told BBC. You would do, wouldn't you? Yeah, yes. I think you probably would. She's told BBC News online. I think they've been very honest about it and apologetic, and more to the point, bring it to the attention of the staff concerned, so they know in future just how to react in a similar situation. And uh, have the health centre given us a, a, a response? No, because Wade Health Centre was unavailable for comment when approached by BBC News. Lorna, thank you. Have you, have you ever been uh, handcuffed or, or staged a sit-in protest? Um, not by the police, uh. no. Lorna Hankin, thank you very much for revealing a little bit uh, more about her life than I was expecting. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. It's, I do like the idea of a sit-in protest. I'm not moving until I get what I want. 08459 455 555. Two questions. Ever been handcuffed by the police, for goodness sakes, or staged a sit-in protest? 08459 455 555. I do like the idea of just sitting there, not going... Not going until I get what I want. I play the street light because there's no place I can go. Street light, it's the only life I know. Street light, and there's a thousand parts to play. Street life, until you play your life away. You let the people see just who you want.
BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 455 555. For those concerned, I did go on my speed awareness course on Friday. It was it was all right. It wasn't the laugh riot that um, some of my listeners had led me to believe it was going to be. I mean, it, it, was, it, it was long, four hours. The gentleman taking it made it a, a, as bearable as possible. He was a bit of a character. I always... Um, a little bit of me dies inside when I'm being spoken to for four hours by a character, but he made it more bearable than I expected. It was certainly better than getting three points. And it was an eye-opener, and I've learnt my lesson. That's my wrist being slapped, and I shan't be doing it again. Although one fella, straight after the course, zoomed off. I saw him going down a 30 miles an hour road at, uh, at easily at 50. One thing I did learn, on dual carriageways, unless it's signposted, you can go 70. I always thought it was 60. So I've actually learned that on some roads, I'm allowed to go a little bit faster than I thought. So if anything, I certainly am more speed aware. But my, my lesson has been learnt. Thank you for everyone who gave me tips and advice. Uh, they wanted to charge me a pound per cup of Nescafe. I told them to jog on. I said, I'm not paying a pound for a Nescafe. I sat at the back next to a lovely lady called Claire, and um, the, the, we uh, the, the kind of joked her. We joked our way through it a bit, although she wouldn't stop talking. It was like being at school, and she wouldn't stop talking. And the, the, the teacher um, uh, kept giving us dirty looks. And in the interval, I went up and I do apologise, it's the woman next to me. She won't shut up. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us uh, a call this morning. Uh, we'll be talking scams in a little bit. I'm keen to get your stories of when and how you've been scammed. It, it's the perennial, isn't it? Every, every now and then a new scam pops up and just when you think, just when you think you've got all the scams covered, something new and even more ridiculous comes up. The scam we've got today, it's one of those, when you hear it, you go, I can't believe anyone was so stupid. 
I, ca- I cannot believe anyone was so stupid that they'd fall for that. But the fact that it is so bizarre and odd makes me think that some people would fall for it, and the lady involved certainly did fall for it. Keep listening, because it, it, a little bit later in the show, uh, Justin Dealey will be telling us about one lady, elderly lady, who was tricked in the most... Well, I, I think that one of the cheekiest scams I've ever heard in my life. How have you been scammed? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. You can go to the Facebook page as well, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. But look, 6.15 on the nose. Let's go and get the latest travel news, shall we? and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. So far, things are looking pretty good. We've had no accidents reported. Things are running well along the major routes. The motorways certainly are clear. And the A40 is looking pretty good as well. You'll find some temporary traffic lights, though, if you're driving through High Wycombe. They're doing roadworks near Queen's Road. In Amersham, temporary lights are up on the A404 Stanley Hill for some telecoms work near the junction with London Road East. And if you're going to be driving at all along the A5, once you get to Fenny Stratford at the Little Chef Roundabout, they're still doing roadworks there to improve the roundabout and add traffic lights, and it can get quite busy at times. Trains so far are looking good. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Right, 6.16, it's Monday the 8th of April. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police have apologised to a 67-year-old Biggleswade woman after they handcuffed her for demanding to see her medical notes. A Luton woman is warning people about a telephone scam which is operating where people are fooled into handing over bank details. And MK Dons remain seven points off the playoffs in League One after getting only a goalless draw from visitors Crawley. Have Crawley got a football team? The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. The chance of a few isolated showers, but most places will stay dry. Some bright intervals are also likely. Maximum temperature is 8 degrees. Coming up, Sainsbury's has been accused of strangling prime retail space in the centre of Milton Keynes by holding onto a building it vacated four years ago. We'll hear more before 6.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nick Coffer on BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday between 12 and 3, I'm here with a little bit of celebrity. I've always loved being a comedian because it's my job, so I'm going to keep doing that. I was voted Japan's number one male vocalist of the year, and I beat out Frank Sinatra. How's that? <laughs> Expert advice. It does sound like it's a mechanical pain brought on by altered mechanics in your upper limb. Your capital's protected because I'm guessing what you don't want to do is take any risks with the capital itself. And loads of really great music. Nick Coffer, weekdays from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. I met Elkie Brooks once. She was delightful but completely bonkers. Everywhere I go, I see a face we used to know. I pass a place we used to go when you were mine. Since you went away, since you went away, my heart's not free. It keeps on raining down on me. Will there be a day when the sun will shine? I wanna see the sun shine. I wanna see blue. 
wrong with a little bit of Elkie Brooks, can you? Wonderful, but completely mad. Now, Sainsbury's has been accused of strangling prime retail space in the centre of Milton Keynes by holding onto a building it vacated four years ago. Residents and councils have expressed concern that the store's former shop in the food centre has been left empty since the new store in town opened in 2008. With Waitrose now vacating the centre, it's feared that the food centre is seen as unattractive by retailers. These residents told our reporter, Paul Scoynes, what they thought about the empty supermarket. It's a complete waste of resource. Um, There's other shops that have been trying to get into the city centre for years and they've kept them out, like Primark. Um... Yeah, and they've got this big building empty. It's also keeping out competition, which is probably the point of it. I find it with the buses, it's more awkward to get to the new one than it was to get to this one. With Waitrose going now, that's another shop out of this building. And this was a you know landmark food centre when it opened in the 80s. What do you think about this whole building being empty? Yes, yeah, disgusting. Where, where are we supposed to go for food shopping? Unless we've got transport to go to the other one. Because you do have to have a car now, really, don't you? You can't, you can't be in town and do, do your weekly yeah. shop. Per- personally, I, I shop out of town because I drive, but my mum's an old-age pensioner and relies on the free bus pass, and, and it's a lot easier for her to get into the city than to go all the way in the opposite direction out of her area to the, the, the new ones that they've built, because this is nearer to where she lives. What would you like to see happen to this building eventually? Well, a new supermarket. You know, whether it be Sainsbury's, Asda, Tesco's, anybody, as long as it's a supermarket. Because without Waitrose, we've got nothing. Well, Paul Scoynes is outside the empty store now. Good morning, Paul. Paul, where are you? Paul? Good morning. Paul, you're there? Yes, I can hear you. Sorry, look at that. I I do apologise. My fault. Tell me the background (laughs) to this. 
Well, Ian, as you, as you might have heard, the uh, food centre here opened in the late 80s. Uh, it was owned then by the Development Corporation, as much of Milton Keynes was, I suppose, in those days. It was then sold on to the people who now own the centre MK, the main shopping centre in Milton Keynes. And Waitrose and Sainsbury's were the two main retailers, and there were some specialist shops alongside it. And then Iceland, where I'm just sitting down outside, came along later on. And uh, in 2008, Sainsbury decided to relocate, uh, built a new store, closer to the train station just down the road from here uh, and it closed this store but the lease remained and since then nothing has happened to it i'm just looking at the old building now and all that's in there is an empty shop floor and the cigarette counter so so that's it there's it, it it's all a bit barren there is it Absolutely. I mean, to, to all intents and purposes, this is a pretty empty building now. I mean, you've got uh, a huge floor space. It was a big shop, this Sainsbury's, when it was there. All the livery's still on the building. The faded Sainsbury's sign's been taken down, but you can still see where it remained. You can see all the windows. Some have been uh, put through. There's, there's wood on some of the windows. It's a fairly unattractive-looking store now. And Paul Waitrose is going as well, is it? That's right. Um, Waitrose is, is moving out of town. It's moving to a, a new store that it's building in Oakgrove. And word was that Waitrose actually wanted to expand into the food centre as well and keep it going. And there was talk of uh, a cafe perhaps as well, although that's not been really talked about publicly, but it was certainly going to sort of try and have some sort of presence here. There was even talk of it moving next to the big John Lewis store, um, although that is not happening. It's certainly going to be out of the town centre. And when that does happen, which will be in a couple of months, time now ian that will mean that this building this flagship food store building when milton Keynes was sort of in its sort of infancy in the 80s will now be 80 percent empty what why do we know why <laughs> not really not really no um, i mean there are lots of rumors about why sainsbury's has decided to uh, to keep this lease running for as long as it has uh, as you heard from the lady there she said that you know freezing out other competition Sainsbury's hasn't really given us very much to go on. A spokesman's told us that uh, they're investigating a number of options with the landlords because they are effectively, you know, renting this store. Um, uh, the, 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 they say that, uh, unfortunately, despite a number of interested parties, there remains issues to be resolved before any new occupation can be concluded. It, it, it could be to... argued, couldn't it, Paul, that... that, that... <laughs> Sorry? It... <laughs> <laughs> Tell that bird to shut up. It could be argued, couldn't it, that that, that um, Sainsbury's is is holding on to this building to to keep this area empty. Well, it would certainly act in their interests, wouldn't it? I suppose you've got uh, a, a major Sainsbury's just down the road from here. Although it's it's a fair walk, and it will take you about fifteen minutes walk from this place to to get to their new store. Um, and uh, you know, it's you, uh, a cynic could say that it, it suits them well to not have an ASDA or a Morrison's or a, a Tesco here, uh, which would certainly be attractive to to people who are coming to the centre of Milton Keynes. What about the owners? The owners uh, who they are leasing it from, a Centre MK. What have they said? Well, they've just said that, uh, the, you know, they're continuing to work with Sainsbury's to try and find a solution. They say that uh, they've got a long-standing commitment to Milton Keynes, having just uh, invested around £47 million on new uh, refurbishments to their main supermarket. I mean, what Sainsbury's have said is that now Waitrose is, is, is leaving the 
adjacent unit, they say that it presents a new opportunity to explore where the, you know, different sort of options with the landlord. So we'll wait and see whether or not that actually forces them to do something else. Paul Scoynes outside the food centre in Milton Keynes. Thank you very much. Well, Linda Inoki is from the pressure group Explain, who take a keen interest in the city centre of Milton Keynes. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Linda, do you think the situation with Sainsbury's holding on to an empty building is right? No, it's plainly wrong. I mean, it might be good for their balance sheet, because obviously the least they have is worth something. It's a prime location, but it's certainly bad for Milton Keynes. What do you think the food centre being empty says to other retailers and shoppers? Well, it might put people off, but on the other hand, um, shopping as as an economic business is very good in Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes is the 10th most successful shopping centre in the country. It's more profitable to trade in Milton Keynes than it is in Knightsbridge, apparently. Oh, I say, very fancy. What, what would you like to see happen, Linda? Well, we'd like to see either this building brought back to life by, having, by being re- reinvented as a modern, up-to-date food centre, or, you know, maybe even demolished and redesigned if it needs to be redesigned. But it was designed as a food centre. Let's put it this way. This is the first time in Milton Keynes' history that we have had no supermarket in our central shopping area. How crazy is that? And with Waitrose, as, as Paul was just saying then, with Waitrose uh, moving out, that, that building, that area, will, will be 80% empty. That, that, that's not a good message to be giving out, is it? No, and the area really does look blighted, as, as you probably hear with the crows. Yes, know, it's only very areas. desolate. It looks blighted. It's an eyesore, and it's been an eyesore for four years since Sainsbury's have moved out. I mean, according to our local paper, and I've heard this on the street too, Sainsbury's is paying a million pounds a year around that figure in service charges just to keep the store empty. It's got to be because they want to keep competition out of the city centre, but it's just not right. They're paying a million pounds a year to, to keep that place empty. That is the word on the street, and it was, you know, it's been reported in our local paper this weekend. That's incredible. Linda uh, and I'll keep, uh, from the pressure group explained. Thank you very much. Indeed. Well, if you've seen the... the well, you could be, if you live in Milton Keynes, you would have seen the food centre. What, what do you think about this? Oh, wait, 459 455 555. It, it, it would appear, it would appear that Sainsbury's is keeping this empty to stop competition. That can't be fair, can it? And that can't be good for Milton Keynes. Oh, wait, 459 455 555 is the phone number. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Right, let's get the latest travel news now. Here's Adam. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Cheers in A412 in Denham. Denham Avenue. Temporary traffic lights are up for electricity work near Tilehouse Lane. We've also got works in St Albans along Folly Lane. Water main works still continuing through to the end of this week near Westview Road. In Bedford, things, well, they're looking OK on the speed sensors for the moment, but on the A6 we do have works near the junction with Rope Walk and London Road. That's starting to get a little bit slow in Dunstable, maybe heading away from the A505 down toward the M1, but certainly nothing you could call a bit of a queue, really. It's looking fine. M1 itself is looking clear as well, and no M25 delays yet this morning. On the trains, London Midland are running replacement buses, I'm afraid, between Watford Junction and St Albans Abbey along that branch line because of staff shortages. Disruption until about 10.15 this morning, London Midland are advising. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thanks very much. 6.30, time for the news and sport now. Here's Serena Farrow. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Good morning. Police have apologised to a 67-year-old Biggleswade woman after they handcuffed her for demanding to see her medical notes. Elsewhere, a Luton woman's warning people about a telephone scam which is operating where people are fooled into handing over bank details. Supermarket chain, as we've been hearing, Sainsbury has been accused of holding on to retail space in Milton Keynes Centre. It still has an empty building there, vacated four years ago. And major changes to the disability benefit system starts to take effect today. That's all the news. Now let's turn to the sport. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. So after Saturday's goalless draw at home to Championship leaders Cardiff, Hornets boss Gianfranco Zola says his side is in a comfortable position ahead of their next match on the road to Peterborough. You can't afford uh, to make any mistakes because uh, we might take advantage of that. So that's what I'm looking. No pressure with us because we are happy and very pleased with the position we are playing we are playing right now. We've done everything we could and we carry on until the end and the pressure is not certainly on us. Turning to League One and hopes for making the playoffs remain slim after MK Dons were unable to get a win. They had a goalless draw against visitors Crawley, but with the strength of his side, manager Carl Robinson still hopeful. I think the way we've been this year with these players coming back fit, um, I had to make changes once again with Pauli because they weren't fit to finish the games off. But the group looks stronger and stronger and I think they're only going to get better and better. Um, I just don't hope it's not too late. Staying with League One and Stevenage remain unbeaten under the returning manager after a draw against Portsmouth. Despite being unable to score past Portsmouth, it gave Borough a second consecutive clean sheet. Graham Wesley's happy with that. I've been really pleased with their response and their reaction um, and particularly pleased with the attitude that they're showing. They're, they're really applying themselves and there's some very good players at the club. And finally, Luton will remain in the conference next season after a loss to Gateshead puts them mathematically out of reach of the playoffs. Their hopes were already slim but the 5-1 to one loss away to Gateshead sealed their fate. BBC Three Counties Radio, more from me at 7. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, a story of an incredible uh, uh, scam that was um, perpetrated on a, a lady um, living in Luton. It's incredible. When you hear it, the cheek of these people. Justin Dealey has been to meet her and we'll be finding out more shortly. And also we'll find out why Bedford could put itself on the map as the place where King Offer was laid to rest. No, me neither. Uh, we've been asking um, about handcuffs this morning. I've been handcuffed by the police. I haven't. Uh, do you know what? I've got quite a few regrets in my life. We'll do this as a phone in one day. Regrets. Uh, one of my regrets is I didn't bunk off school. I never bunked off school. I wish I had. Never did. I would love to. Looking back, I think if I just bunked off a few days, got, gone into London. Or, you know, gone and done something instead of going to school. Would have made... I would probably still be sat here today. Wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever. Another regret I've got is I never spent the night in a police cell. Or been handcuffed. April has texted in. I've been, um... I've been handcuffed by the police once. My sister is an officer and she was showing us her gear after she qualified. She volunteered me. Never again. Ever been handcuffed by the police? 08459 455 555. Still
Crimes Against Music, Brian. I, I just can't. You, you've committed far too many. Now, when you dial 999 because you believe you've been the victim of credit card fraud, you think you're safe. But what happens when criminals have even fooled you into thinking that you've dialed 999 when you haven't? Well, this happened to one woman from Luton, Sylvia Edwards. She wants to tell her story so others don't fall for the same trick. Justin Dealey went to meet her. I got this phone call from this gentleman who said who claimed he was from Barclays Fraud Department. He told me to look on the back of my debit card and there would be a number of lost and stolen 
to report, and there was indeed, and he said I should ring that number and ask for Mr Dewani. So I rung the number and asked Mr Dewani, and I got put through to this gentleman who said that my card had been um, used in Selfridges for, to the tune of a £1,000 and also in Argus to the tune of a £1,000, but they'd apprehended the people and they had them in custody. So I needed they needed to act quick because they could only hold them for a few hours. So I should go down to my bank and draw out £6,000. And I said, well, I can't do that. Mm. And it's now 20 to 5. I said, my bank would be closed anyway. Well, I didn't go to my bank. And I just left it. And they rang back about quarter past five. And they said, well, have you got the money? And I said, no, the bank was closed. I didn't get the money. And going back, recapping a little bit on it, when they, I spoke to them in the afternoon, they said that I should dial 999 if I didn't believe them. And so I did dial 999. And they said, when you get through, say it's not really an emergency, but you want to speak to an Amos Roy at the Charing Cross Fraud Squad. So this is what I did. And again, I've got another Indian gentleman who said, um, yes, we've been waiting for your call. And this is definitely true. Your card has been used and we have got the suspects in custody. And so go back to speak to this gentleman at um, Barclays Fraud Squad. So I did. I phoned them back. And he said, now, I must know that I'm speaking to Mrs. Edwards, so I need to do a security check with you. So he asked me my date of birth, um, my mother's maiden name, what regular payments I make. So straight away now he's got all my security details. So then he said, since you couldn't get the money out of the bank, he said, what you do, have you got a plain envelope? I said, yes. He said, put the cards, because I've got two accounts with Mark, he said, put the cards into an envelope with two bank statements from each account and a courier will call to collect it. So in about 15 minutes, so 15 minutes pass and sure enough got another call, he's outside. It appeared to be a minicab and I handed him, with my stupidity, the envelope with my bank statements and the cards. Now, by this point, you were in a panic and you were doubting yourself. I was. So you phoned your son. You you couldn't speak to your son, but you spoke to his partner. What did she say to you? She said, um, oh, I think you've been scammed. I said, what do you mean? I said, oh, no. She said, you haven't given them yet. I said, yes, they've just taken them about five minutes ago. So she said, look, I've got the number. I look up them quickly. I said, I can't look up the number of anything. But this time I was... Hysterical. So she got the number of the police. She said, don't ring on your house phone, ring on the mobile. So I rang Bedfordshire Police on the mobile and they said, well, ring Barclays Bank. I said, I can't because they've got all my details. So happily, there was somebody there that knew that the helpline number and I quickly rang them, gave them the sorry, sorry story and she said, don't tell me you've given them your cards and your bank statements. Yeah. She said, quick, let me check. Nothing's gone out. Nothing's gone out from your account, of either of your accounts. I'm going to block it. Well, that was uh, Justin Dealey speaking to um, uh, a victim of uh, an incredible cheeky scam there, Sylvia Edwards. Justin joins me now. Good morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. It's one of those things you just think, well, how can someone be so, and I'm going to say it's stupid, but when you're vulnerable and and trusting and it sounds so convincing, you can fall for these things. What happened afterwards? Did the scammers try and contact her again? Yes, they did that evening at about um, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, As soon as Sylvia passed the phone to her husband, uh, the 
phone went down immediately. Right. And some people may be thinking, well, well, how could she fall for this? Because as far as she's concerned, she thought she was phoning 999. She thought she was phoning Barclays. We can't give too many details. Let's just say that that call was intercepted. It's all to do with the way the phone line goes down. So you think you're making a fresh call. You think you are phoning the police, but sadly you're not. You're still you're on the line to the people still on the you're line talking to. And you're talking directly to the scamsters. Oh why, why is she talking about this now, Justin? Well, she's been through a lot of pain. This happened on uh, late Thursday afternoon, so she's coming forward. She wants to Good tell her. her story because she doesn't want other people to go through what she's been through. She's been through hell. She feels very, very silly. She can't believe it's happened to her. She's always been so careful in the past, so, so she thinks, well, if it's happened to me, this could happen to other people. She wants to get the message out. These scamsters, they're out there, and they might be coming for you. So if somebody phones you, and again, they're asking you for these details, just simply put the phone down, because a bank would never, ever ask for your PIN number, and they certainly would never, ever turn up at your door to collect that's, your card. That's the thing that gets me, is that these men were uh, uh, cheeky enough yeah. to turn up at her front door. I mean, I've never heard that before. No. I've heard all sorts of scams on the phone. That's nothing new. But, but the fact you're putting your card, your PIN numbers, your statements, your checkbook into an envelope, somebody then comes to your front door, to your property, and you hand that over. Personally, I don't know anybody who's fallen for that. But hopefully, we can make a difference. And Sylvia will be joining you live on the show after seven. Justin, thank you very much indeed. Sylvia will be joining after seven. I'll also be speaking to Paul Wilson from BBC's Real Hustle to find out more about this scam and others. He's a naughty man. He's a very naughty man. Uh, and I want to hear from you this morning. What scams can you warn us about? This seems, uh, just when you think you've heard them all, something like this crops up. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. 645. Oh, 645. Here's the travel news now. Adam Glynn. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. There was I thinking I was getting some new music. Right, M1 Sorry, Adam, Southbound. no, you're stuck with this nonsense. I do oh, apologise. It's, it's fine, Ian. M1, Southbound, we've had a couple of calls, reports of an accident. Apparently one lane is blocked off by a multi-vehicle accident between Junction 11 at Dunstable and 10 for the Luton Airport Spur Road. But if we can get any further updates on that, that would be massively useful. So if anyone's driving down there can see what's going on, if it's safe to do so, give us a call 08459 555. M25 anti-clockwise, it's looking slow from the M1 to the A41 and then again from the M40 to the M4. The A1 in Boreham Wood is starting to build up between Stirling Corner and Apex Corner and good news for the trains because London Midland have managed to sort things much earlier than they thought and a normal service is resumed between Watford Junction and St Albans Abbey. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Right, 6.46, Monday the 8th of April. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police have apologised to a 67-year-old Biggleswade woman who wanted to see her medical notes for handcuffing her. A Luton woman duped by telephone scam in which she was fooled into handing over her bank details has spoken out about the incident. And Luton will remain in the conference next season after a loss to Gateshead puts them mathematically out of reach of the playoffs. Coming up, we'll find out why Bedford could put itself on the map as the place where King Offer was laid to rest. <laughs> find out more before seven. But now let's get the latest weather. It's Kate Kinsella. Beds, Hearts and Bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
weekend. The Kate, 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 let me stop you there. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. What now? Oh, I had no, no. I had the wrong fader open. We missed your opening. Oh. You, you, you switched from fader three. You, you switched from fader three to fader two without telling me, Kate. Naughty. So sorry. No, it's your fault as well. So let's let's start again. Let's get the full Kate Kinsella experience here on BBC Three Counties <laughs> Radio. Away you go. Thank you very much. Well, we all saw a touch of spring over the weekend. The welcome appearance of the sunshine put us all in a very good mood. However. It's a bit of a different feel today and, in fact, for the next week. It's rather grey, rather cloudy and with it some wet and windy weather. Now, temperatures outside at the moment, for some of us, actually dipping below freezing. So we have got one or two pockets of frost out there, out in parts of Buckinghamshire and up towards Bedford as well. Um, We're looking at some frost, temperature down to minus one. But we have got rather a lot of cloud and also a bit of a breeze as well. Now, this easterly breeze making things feel rather cold, especially when we get an isolated shower which is likely through the course of the day and temperatures struggling up to 8 Celsius, 46 degrees in Fahrenheit. Now, we will still have one or two showers first thing tonight, but it will dry out and it will leave a mostly dry night. One or two clearer spells, but becoming more cloudy as we head through the majority of the night, particularly towards uh, the early hours of tomorrow morning and into dawn tomorrow. And the wind will start to pick up as well. That will put pay to most frost. Temperatures down to 1 Celsius, 34 degrees in Fahrenheit. And we're hanging on to occasional rain tomorrow. There's there's a fairly hefty weather front moving up from the south, but by the time it gets up to us in Buckinghamshire and elsewhere, it breaks up. So only occasional rain tomorrow, but that brisk northeasterly wind will continue to make things feel cold and temperatures struggling again, only getting up to seven for Tuesday. That's your forecast. Thank you very much and apologies, Kate. And next time we're going to get you right from the very start. I'll do my, my best. My apologies. My fault, I'm sure. <laughs> it's actually my best. Kate, you're, you're very good. Thank you very much. Tackling your consumer problems. On BBC Three Counties Radio. My son took it to back to the, the garage. The mechanic says, yeah, I know what it is. So they took it in, done what they had to do, and the car was still the same, still doing the same thing. The JVS Show. Fighting for your rights. The long and short of it is, he agreed that he would replace the car. If you have a consumer problem, we can do the same for you. I'd like to thank you and your team for everything you've done. We wouldn't have got where we got without you. It's a pleasure. I'm going to call that a result. Any other problems, you know where I am, Stuart. The JVS Show. Fighting for your rights. Weekday mornings from nine on BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555. A little bit of Neil Sedaka. Why not? Oh, I've not heard this for ages. That's when the music takes me, takes me to a
BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, a little bit of Neil Sedaka there. Always uh, very toe-tapping music from Neil Sedaka. Very odd-looking pop star, wasn't he? He looked, looked like a big potato in a jumpsuit. He did, but he wrote some wonderful songs. Wonderful. Now, tourism in Bedford uh, could get a boost if the town can lay claim to the burial place of the Saxon King Offer, which a local resident claims is close to the Star Rowing Club. Well, we'll hear from Eric uh, Compton in around an hour from now. He's certain that there's every reason for Bedford to put itself on the map as the place where King Offer was laid to rest. But before that, let's talk to Alan Hay, who's a member of Ringworm, which is the Bedfordshire branch of the Vikings Reenactment Society. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Ian. Now, listen, I, I, I must be honest, my Viking knowledge, is a, it's got some gaps in it. Who was King Offer and why should we celebrate him? King Offa was a very famous um, king of the Anglo-Saxon line. He was what was called a Bretwalder, which is a high king. And he was king of Mercia, which uh, Bedfordshire was within the kingdom of Mercia, which stretched from Derbyshire to London and from Cambridgeshire to the Wales border. So people might know the name from Offa's dyke. Ah, of course. Now, there, the claims are being made by this gentleman, Mr Compton, that he, he could be buried close to the Star Rowing Club. Are, are there any facts to back this up? Well, there's, there's some recorded facts that King Offa um, was returning from a, an abbey that he'd founded in St Albans and was taken ill and died near Hitchin, a place that was renamed Offley. And that was in July 796. And uh, his body, interestingly, was then taken to Bedford and interned in a chapel on the banks of the River Ouse. But unfortunately for us, we know that several hundred years later, the chapel was washed away in a flood. Ah. But it's quite exciting to think that um, Bedford was the burial place of uh, an ancient king, and a king who was really high regarded throughout all of Europe. And uh, Bedford was his final resting place. Now, Alan, you would imagine you would imagine that Bedford w- would be milking the connection with uh, King Offa um, for all it's worth. Is there anything at all in place to establish these links with with King Offa? Um, well, there's several ancient manuscripts that record these facts about King Offa, and it's when we think that York has got a Viking festival and Chester's got a Roman festival, just based on the fact that these people were there, um, Bedford could easily have something like an Anglo-Saxon festival and be one of the first in the country and what that could do for tourism in the town and the county is quite substantial. They could do... I've got some slogans for them they could use, Alan. They could have a a two-for-one offer or or they they could have a special offer. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I'm sure we could work on that and build on that, yeah. If you were involved in this, Alan, with the Ringworm Society, what, what, what would you do? How would you celebrate? Uh, well, um, I think we, can, we could take a model from some of what the other towns do with medieval festivals and um, the Viking Festival at York, which Ringworm attend, and mm. um, we could have some reenactment events, and then the town can host um, various different events connected because there's a really rich heritage in Anglo-Saxon poetry and literature... Um, there's a lot of interest in cooking at the moment and Anglo-Saxon cooking is quite interesting 
So th- there's various bits and pieces that the town could do throughout the week, say if they had a nominated week, to attract people into Bedford and Alan, provide some valuable income for I, the town. I do have to ask the question, why the name Ringworm? Ah, well, that's, that's a very old... Uh, Anglo-Saxon, Old English word. Yeah. So, what, what does it mean? Ringworm. Belief that there was a snake that circled the world, and that in oh. the snake in Anglo-Saxon is worm, and oh. the ringworm is the snake that circles the world. So it's not named after that horrible disease you get when you go to foreign countries. No, but we like to be tongue in cheek at the very least. Well, you do. You do sound like a bunch of characters, Alan. For goodness' <laughs> sake. Finally, the historians of uh, St Albans Abbey have cast doubt over the Bedford connection. They're not particularly convinced about it. There are, I guess there are always going to be opposing viewpoints over historical issues from so long ago, aren't there? Uh, definitely. Um, but King Arthur is very well documented as a king of Mercia, and this area is well known to have been part of Arthur's kingdom. And the fact that after his death, his wife was an abbess here in Bedford at a monastery, um, and there's a charter that proves that that monastery was established in 796... Uh, does help to provide some links between Offer and Bedford. Alan, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. That's Alan Hay, who's a member of uh, Ringworm, the Bedfordshire branch of the Vikings Reenactment Society. Well, later on we will speak to Eric Compton, who is convinced that King Offer is buried near the, near the Star Rowing Club. I, this isn't just some ruse to stop the, uh, the, the redevelopment happening on the, the, in Bedford, is it? There's been so much controversy about Oh, no, you can't. You can't build a multiplex there. There's a king buried there. We shall be discussing that more. I do like those historical reenactment societies. I went out and did some filming once with um, some people who dressed up in old clothes and had sore fights. They might have been Vikings. I don't know. They, 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 we had some sword fights. It was ridiculous, OK, and everyone was a little bit odd. But it was so much fun. You can see why people would give up their Sunday afternoons to wear sacks and hit each other with, with sticks. Honestly, once you do it, you go, oh, yeah, actually, I can kind of... There is something quite exciting about bald men with long beards going, Ah! It's the Travel News with Adam. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much. The M1 going southbound. We still have reports of queues because of a multi-vehicle accident. Apparently one lane is blocked off between Junction 11 at Dunstable and Junction 10 for Luton Airport. Again, if anyone's in the area and can see what's going on, a call would be most helpful. 08459 555 555. Don't get us to do your job. Don't don't get my listeners to do your job. You you go and research it, Adam. No, it's It's your job, Ian. Okay, well, maybe it is. I do apologise for interrupting. Sorry, carry on, continue, continue. Anti-clockwise M25, it's looking heavy from Junction 25 at Enfield to 24 at Potter's Bar through the roadworks. Then again, queues from the M1 to Chorleywood and the M40 to the M4. Though on all of those routes away from London, it's looking okay. And going into London, certainly the M40 and the M4 are looking fine. A1 round Boreham Wood's quite busy, though, between Stirling Corner and Apex Corner. And trains are looking fine. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, I apologise for that outburst. That was inappropriate. Thank you very much. Adam, we'll speak to you later on. Here's the news now with Serena. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
Good morning. Police apologise to Bedfordshire woman. Scammers who get your bank details are in action in Luton. And Luton get to stay in the conference. BBC Three Counties Radio. A Biggleswade woman who protested because she wasn't allowed to see her medical notes has been handcuffed by police. 67-year-old Mary Kurzweil went to the town's health centre to check for corrections after a mix-up with another patient's details. But she wasn't allowed to see the full record, so she staged a sit-in protest. Bedfordshire police have since admitted it could have acted in a less intrusive manner rather than handcuffing her. In other news, a Luton woman's warning people about a telephone scam which involves people handing over their bank details. Sylvia Edwards says the scammers asked her to dial 999 to check the call was genuine in order to gain her trust, but she wasn't aware they'd keep the phone line open, so she was actually speaking to the fraudsters and not the police. Having dialed 999, yes, one would think if you've dialed 999, you're actually speaking to somebody that's um, authentic and and, and genuine and, and, and bona fide. Well, you can hear more from Sylvia as she'll be speaking to Ian Lee here on BBC Throne. County's radio in the next half an hour. Supermarket chain Sainsbury has been accused of holding on to retail space in Milton Keynes Centre. It still has an empty building it vacated four years ago. It's feared the store's former shop, the food centre, is seen as unattractive by retailers. Well, these shoppers say something needs to be done. Complete waste of resource. There's other shops that have been trying to get into the city centre for years and they've kept them out, like Primark. Um, you know, and they've got this big building empty. It's also keeping out competition, which is probably the point of it. I find it with the buses, it's more awkward to get to the new one than it was to get to this one. Sainsbury has told us it's been investigating a number of options for the future use of the unit, but there are still issues which need to be sorted first. So major changes to the disability benefit system start to take effect from today. The disability living allowance is being gradually replaced with the new personal independence payment. Ministers say claimants should get a more regular assessment. Conservative Party Chairman and MP for Well in Hatfield, Grant Shapps, explains more. Conditions change over time for people, but 70 plus percent of people who've been on that allowance have never actually had any kind of systematic checks. So the, the upshot of this is that actually hundreds of millions of pounds of overpayments are going out, but also of underpayments. Scientists in America have put forward a new theory to explain why eating too much red meat may be bad for the heart. They say a compound found in meat can actually damage blood vessels. In sport, then, Luton will remain in the conference next season. It comes after a loss to Gateshead, but it puts them mathematically out of reach of the playoffs. And the chance of a few isolated showers across beds, hearts and bucks this morning, but mainly dry. Temperatures reaching 8 degrees Celsius, 46 in Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties bbc three counties radio first for news serena yeah little question if you don't mind yeah a little bit late into work this morning yeah may i may i ask why my battery died on me but it's a long yeah exactly it's not a very nice story actually because where i was staying with had to wake up children and all sorts and it was just yeah but anyway it's fine because i'm here now you had to wake up children and your battery died. I'm, I'm not going to ask any more, but it sounds fascinating. I'm glad you're here, Serena. Thanks. Speak to you later. Bye. I didn't understand that excuse, did you? Her battery died and she had to wake up children. Just the phrase, it's not a very nice story, always rings alarm bells in my ears. And I thought, ah. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. What a lovely morning it is as well. Wasn't the sunshine nice this weekend? I had a whole three hours of playing with my elders, playing pirates in the garden. We spent three hours talking like that. 
Every time I stopped, he'd get, no, pirate daddy, don't stop talking like a pirate. So I had to keep it up for three hours. I'm surprised I have any voice left. Lots coming up on the show this morning, including Bedfordshire police have apologised after a woman was handcuffed for demanding to see her medical notes. Well, our reporter Lorna Hankin has been following the story. She'll be joining me next. A Luton woman has come to this programme to warn you about a new type of scam. She doesn't want other people to fall victim to the same trick. We'll reveal what happened in the next half hour. In the meantime, I'd like to hear from you. What scams can you warn us about? And is Bedford missing a trick over its connections with the Saxon King Offer? He's claimed, it's claimed he was laid to rest in a chapel on the river Ooze. One local resident thinks that Bedford is missing out. Justin Dealey is on his way to meet him. Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can tweet me as well. Don't be argumentative like Rebecca was. At BBC3CR or at Ian Lee. But the best way to get in touch, of course, as we all know, is the telephone. 08459 455555. BBC Three Counties Radio. A 67-year-old woman who was handcuffed for demanding to see her medical notes has received an apology from Bedfordshire Police. Mary Kurzweil went to Biggleswade Health Centre to check for corrections following a mix-up with another patient's details. Well, our reporter Lorna Hankin has been following this story. Joins me now. Good morning, Lorna. She was mi- th- there was a big mix-up with her notes. What happened? Well, Mrs Kurzweil said that she was telephoned by Biggleswade Health Centre in October saying her kidney condition demanded an urgent urine test. Now, she told them, hang on a minute, I'm perfectly healthy, um, but the surgery was adamant that her records showed she was a heavy smoker, suffered from Alzheimer's disease, had a kidney condition and had undergone a hysterectomy and a double hip replacement. You would know if you'd undergone these procedures, wouldn't you? I think you would, really, yeah. What happened then? Well, she went to the surgery and asked for her full 43-page long medical notes, but after allegedly being told the manager was unavailable and she'd have to wait, she refused to leave. Now, police community support officer then came into the surgery and asked her to leave, but she said she'd already paid £10 to access the information a few days beforehand. Mm. She was then handcuffed and escorted out of the building. She was unable to see her full medical records and staged a sit-in protest. Police were called and she was escorted out in handcuffs. Well, this happened, uh, I think, in December. Mm -hmm. What did the police say at the time? Well, they said at the time um, that officers attended the practice in Saffron Road over reports of a breach of the peace and that handcuffing was standard practice but they've now apologised over the handling of the case Chief Inspector Mark Upex said I have spoken with Mrs Kurzweil on two occasions and while she does not wish to make a formal complaint she did raise some concerns about the actions taken by the officers. I've agreed with Mrs Kurzweil that officers could have acted in a less intrusive manner and have apologised to her for this the officers involved have been spoken to and advised about their future conduct. Mrs Kurzweil was satisfied with this outcome. And what has Mary Coswell said about this? Well, she's since registered with another practice and told BBC News Online, I think they've been very honest about it and apologetic and more to the point, bring it to the attention of the staff concerned so they know in future just how to react in a similar situation. And uh, the health centre, have they given a response? No, the Biggest Wade Health Centre was unavailable for comments when approached by the BBC News Lord Online. Hankin, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. I guess that so many questions raised from this. Ever been handcuffed? 
by the police, you mucky lot. For goodness sakes, I don't want to know what you get up to in your your kitchens and wherever. Ever been handcuffed? Oh eight four five nine, four double five five double five. And also, I'm I'm tempted to go and ask for my medical records now because doctors they they I don't think they do it now, but when you because years ago you couldn't get your medical records, you weren't allowed to see them. They were private. Now you can, and so doctors would write things about patients there was there was I, I need a doctor to call in because there was um an ana- there was an acronym they used to put if a patient was trouble and i can't think what it was it was like something like i can't think but it meant this patient is a, is a nuisance beware and i can't think what it was if you're a doctor what was there was a little code you'd write so that other doctors would know it was a troublesome patient oh eight four five nine four double five five double five ever looked at your medical records and seen what the doctors have really said about you I, th- I think they're a little bit more cautious these days, but, but going back a few years, they would write anything they wanted about you. 08459 455 555. We're also talking about scams this morning after one lady was... Uh, well, it's a terrible scam. We'll, we'll, we'll go into a bit more detail, but it ended up with some gentleman turning up in a car, claiming, uh, turning up in a car at her house, claiming to be from the bank, taking her bank statements, her bank cards, her checkbooks, everything. 08459 455 555. Trevor's from Radlick. Good morning, Trevor. Morning, Ian. What, what, what scam can you warn us about? There is another similar one kicking about where they, um, they pretend they're from BT. Oh, and yes. no matter what provider you're from, they say, well, as you know, everyone rents their lines from BT and yeah. there's a £15 bill needs paying, oh, we're going to cut you off. Oh. And they do the same thing. They block the line, ask you to try to make a call, and then they... Uh, they answer it back and say, see, we've cut your line off, so you need to pay this over the phone now. And it's a very similar scam that they're doing at the moment. It's, it, see, it's odd, isn't it? But, but the £15 pounds doesn't sound a lot, but I guess that's the trick is that you think, oh, it's all 15 quid. Well, like, yeah, actually, I, I can pay that now. Let me give you the details. Exactly, yeah. oh, It's very naughty. Would, Trevor, do you think you'd ever be suckered in by any of these scams, or are you too savvy? No, I mean, after, well, they can phone the mobile all they like, but, I mean, if anyone rang me up and said, I'll uh, make a call and check or whatever, I said, that's OK, I'll do it on my mobile. Oh, Stay on the line. I'll clever. do it while you're on the line. Clever, clever. Trevor, listen, thank you very much for that. 08459 455 555. Any scams you can tell us about? It's it's the perennial, it's, it's, it's the, the, the phone-in show perennial topic, scams. And just when you think, oh, we, we don't need to do this again, then something new comes up and a new clever little trick and you do think oh, they'll, they'll never get me and i like to think I'd, n- I'd never be scammed like this but then i guess they're not going for me late 30s steady you know the fairly intelligent media savvy bloke they're not going for me are they they're, they're going for older people aren't they they're going for people like my mum who's uh, a little bit too trusting perhaps oh eight four five nine four double five five double five should we have a look at the front pages of the newspaper um, victorious Grand National Jockey has flown to hospital. This is Ryan Mania, I think he's, he says, pronounces his name, who won the Grand National. His first attempt on Saturday was in hospital last night after falling at a race meeting in Hexham. Uh, MPs call for top bankers' pension to be cut back. Fury over former HBOS chief's £20 million pot. Wowzers. £20 million pension. Um, let's have a little look. Uh, the Guardian... Um, hospitals must shrink or shut, doctors warn. 
GP's leaders, uh, GP's leader says half of services should be moved closer to patients' homes. GPs, who now control much of the NHS budget, have said many hospitals will have to drastically shrink or shut altogether because half their services could be provided elsewhere. Uh, and there's that jockey uh, again. Did you watch the Grand National? I didn't. I have no interest in the Grand. I think the, I think the Grand National is horrible, horrible, horrible race. And shame on all you lot for taking part in the sweepstake at work. Shame on you. Disgusting. The Independent. Uh, oh, there's that girl with the, um, with the, the... Well, there's that naughty girl, Paris Brown, who's now fast becoming my hero. Paris Brown, Britain's first youth police and crime commissioner outside police, uh, made some police station. So she's 17 years old. She's been hired at £15,000 a year as the first youth police and crime commissioner. And she's been tweeting a load of horrible stuff. Slightly homophobic, slightly racist, low-level homophobia and racism. Quite obnoxious stuff, OK? But no different from any other teenager's... Um, kind of twitter feed and she's got in trouble the mail are after her she'll be out of a job by the end of the week she won't last a week okay part of me thinks well she's the perfect person to be a youth police and crime commissioner she often speaks their language the thing thing i find most offensive and you shouldn't really it's the eyebrows she's got what i've heard are described as hd eyebrows you know the rectangles and you shouldn't really but i do feel sorry for her she's but y- y- young people, you've got to realise that, you, that, you know, if you can't tweet and you can't find it, you, you can't tweet and you can't um, Facebook stuff anymore because it will come up against you. Just if you're going to get a job in, in the public office. We'll go through the rest of the papers uh, a little bit later on. But Justin Dealey is on the hunt. He's on the hunt. What are you on the hunt for, Dealey? Uh, I'm on the hunt for King The hunt. King Offer. Yes. Yes, King Offer. We're looking for him in Bedford this morning. We're going to be talking live later on to a man who is convinced that he was buried on the banks of the River Ooze in Bedford, that man being Eric Compton. He's fairly handy, I believe, uh, looking for things in Bedford. Now, Ian, the, the, the big question is... The big question He's is... He's fairly handy. Apparently so. He's got a metal detector and he finds all sorts of things. I'm suspicious about this story, but you mentioned earlier on you never heard of King Offer. No, I don't. I just you... asked... I've asked the man a moment ago, yeah. very, very briefly, let's take a listen to this. Ron, we're here in Bedford this morning, we are looking for the remains of King Offer. How excited are you about that? 7am in the morning, not very. Do you know who he is? King Arthur? King Offer. King Offer? Oh, yeah. I thought he said Arthur. No, King Offer. He was uh, King of the Danes, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, if we found him, would that make you feel happy? Not as happy it would make him. <laughs> you don't really care, do you? Not really, sorry. Not necessarily. There you go. Never wow. heard of him. Wow. Never heard of wow. him. Wow. You've you've really sold that story, Justin. Can I be honest? What he said then was what I heard in my head when this was mentioned last week. But but there are people that are excited, and it could be good news for Bedford, couldn't it? So we're told. So we're told for tourism. Of course, some people doubt these claims that he could be buried here in Bedford. Uh, Eric Compton is the man, hopefully, with a few answers. We're going to be talking to him live from the River Ooze after 7.30. He's very, very excited. I'm suspicious because we talk about the Bedford Riverside development. That's exactly where these remains are apparently buried. Now, if that was true, would would that stop the development? That's the big question. I knew it. I knew there was a question. Have you got your shovel with you, Justin? Yes, I have. I've got a shovel, and Eric will have his mess detector we are going looking for saxon king offer thank you very much justin daly bbc three counties radio the first for news 7 15 here's the travel now adam glynn 
Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. And it's still looking pretty slow on the M1 southbound between Junction 13 at Bedford and 11 for the A505 at Dunstable. We had those earlier reports of an accident passing Junction 11. We did have a call come in from Peter, so thank you very much for that. As far as we know, it does look like it may have cleared, but expect it to still be quite busy. M25 anti-clockwise, two lanes are blocked by a car fire. That's at Junction 16 for the M40. The car is on the hard shoulder and is currently ablaze. The authorities are blocking lanes 1 and 2 for safety reasons and they're currently waiting for the fire brigade. So lane 3 is open past there. Traffic just about squeezing past, but it's adding to the delays. Thanks to Alan, who called us about that one. And further around the M25, it's slow from Junction 25 at Enfield to 24 at Potter's Bar through the roadworks. And if you're heading for London through Boreham Wood, the A1 is queuing southbound between Stirling Corner and Apex Corner. Trains still looking fine. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thanks very much indeed. Morning 7.16, this is Ian Lee. These are your headlines on Monday the 8th of April. Police have apologised for handcuffing a Biggleswade woman when all she wanted was to see her medical notes. There's a warning about a telephone scam operating in Luton, which fools people into handing over their bank details. And Luton, uh, in sport, Luton are mathematically out of reach of the playoffs and so will stay in the conference next season. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks, the chances of a few isolated showers, but most places will stay dry. Some bright intervals are also likely. Maximum temperature is 8 degrees. Coming up, Sainsbury's has been accused of strangling prime retail space in the centre of Milton Keynes by holding on to a building it vacated four years ago. We'll hear more before 7.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday from three, Roberto Peroni with the best local news stories. I get to meet a lot of really interesting people with the most amazing stories. We feel as if we haven't been taken notice of. Yesterday we heard that the bank had gone, but today it's still there. The cat got delivered up in Kabul. You should be back in the UK in two months. With the best local talking points. Do some of the bakers have flapjack fights? No, of course not, Roberto. Well, not in our shops. <laughs> Roberto Peroni, weekdays from three. On B- BBC Three Counties Radio. Very excitingly, I was asking if you'd ever looked at um, your doctor's notes because they write, they used to, they're not so hot on it now, but they used to write um, little acronyms for the people who are trouble. Well, someone has very sent me, has it very kindly sent me, medical abbreviations. A B I T H A D. Another, another blithering idiot thinks he's a doctor. Um. Uh, A-T-S-W-W-T Always thinks there's something wrong with them uh, 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 <laughs> This is not real If you're a doctor, listen to this Have you ever written this on someone's notes? F-F-F-F What do you think that means? I'll put this out there F-F-F-F If a doctor writes that down on your notes What do you think that means? F-F FF. I'll, I'll give you the answer a little bit later on. It's very naughty. I can believe this of doctors because they are naughty people. FFFF. Now, Sainsbury's has been accused of strangling prime retail space in the centre of Milton Keynes by holding onto a building it vacated four years ago. Residents and councils have expressed concern that the store's former shop in the food centre has been left empty since the new store in town opened in 2008. Well, with Waitrose now vacating the centre, it's feared the food centre is seen as unattractive by retailers. Paul Scoynes is outside the empty store. Good morning, Paul. 
Hello, good morning, Ian. Paul, give us a little bit of the background on this, please. Yes, I'm outside a, a very empty and lonely and sad-looking store here. Uh, this was the food centre, opened in the late 80s in Milton Keynes, gleaming white building with sort of Romanesque columns outside it. And uh, it was owned then by the Development Corporation, who then sold it eventually on to... Well, it was the council then that sold it on to the, uh, uh, the owners of the centre, MK, the shopping centre. And uh, the two big shops in there were the Waitrose and the Sainsbury's, and there were some specialist shops as well alongside it. But Sainsbury's left this building to move just about uh, 15 minutes walk down the road to a, a, a purpose-built uh, shop and sort of residential complex and has left this building in, in a fairly empty state since. I say fairly empty, there's a, a cigarette counter and that's about it inside. So it looks very, very, uh, very sad, really. So, yeah, that's the sort of size of it. Paul, what does the, the, the food centre look like now and, and what do you think it will look like when Waitrose goes? Well, I mean, on this side, certainly, it looks pretty beat up. I mean, the, the, the sort of Sainsbury's orange is still uh, alongside this side of the building. There's still the sign saying, we've moved just down the road. But if I look at the uh, at the actual sort of building itself, I mean, it, you know, the windows look all sort of tired and, and covered in sort of whitewash. There's a few of them which have been put in and uh, have got wooden boards up. The, the outside of the building looks fairly tatty. Uh, and as I say, the inside is empty. And, and when Waitrose goes later this year in only a couple of months time it's going to be completely empty or no, more or less 80 percent empty there's still iceland down the road but you wonder you know how attractive this is as a building to retailers um, and what we understand is that there have been moves to try and get other people in waitrose even uh, allegedly were sort of uh, looking to expand into this area um, but were unable to do so this lease that sainsbury's have on it is, has we understand at least 10 years still left on it they are paying a service charge they are paying rates we don't really know the extent of what the rent is there have been well, figures you've mentioned the figure of a million pounds a year has been put forward yeah i've been told by several uh, sources that that is way out uh, and, and certainly doesn't even come close to that it could be more it, than it, that you're saying I, I think it's significantly less than that less actually. than that so, okay less yeah, thank you that's what i'm that's my understanding from from various sources Paul, you've been speaking to shoppers this morning haven't you well, that's right. Over the weekend, I came along, I came back here and I sort of was talking to some people about it. And I thought, well, these are people who use this building. And these two uh, ladies spoke to me yesterday. It's a complete waste of resource. Um, there's other shops that have been trying to get into the city centre for years and they've kept them out, like Primark. Um, you know, and they've got this big building empty. It's also keeping out competition, which is probably the point of it. I find it with the buses, it's more awkward to get to the new one than it was to get to this one. With Waitrose going now, that's another shop out of this building, and this was a you know landmark food centre when it opened in the 80s. What do you think about this whole building being empty? Yeah, it's disgusting. Where, where are we supposed to go for food shopping? Unless we've got transport to go to the other one. Because you do have to have a car now, really, don't you? You can't, you can't be in town and do, do your weekly yeah. shop. Per personally, I, I shop out of town because I drive, but my mum's an old age pensioner and relies on the free bus pass, and... and it's a lot easier for her to get into the city than to go all the way in the opposite direction out of her area to the, the, the new ones that they've built because this is nearer to where she lives. What would you like to see happen to this building eventually? Well, a new supermarket. You know, whether it be Sainsbury's, Asda, Tesco's, anybody, as long as it's a supermarket because without Waitrose, we've got nothing. Paul Scoynes, uh, thank you very much. We can speak now to Dr Rebecca Kurth, who is the chair of the Milton, uh, Central Milton Keynes Town Council. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning, Ian. You must be concerned about this uh, area being empty. 
very concerned, and, and I've heard from a lot of residents as well. Um, yeah, the, the city centre is in danger of, of hollowing out at the rate we're going. What, what do you think Sainsbury should do? They've got a, a very long lease on this property. They're paying all of their, their rates and their rents and everything they should do. So they're doing nothing legally wrong. But what would you like to see Sainsbury's do? I'd like to see Sainsbury negotiate, um, you know, a, a deal with the, the owners of the shopping building so that we can have a, a new supermarket in there. Why do you think they're doing this? Is it purely for, for selfish things so that, that, that no competition sets up shop there? Oh, I mean, I really would hate to, to speculate. You know, we have to realise that they do own the leasehold for, the, for, for that part of the building, so, you know, they, they are expecting to sell it to... I presume the freeholder, and, and it's, it's, I don't really know the ins and outs, but I would imagine it's, it's a complex financial uh, matter. The old complex financial matter rears its ugly head again. What do you think about the future of, of, of shopping in central Milton Keynes? There aren't very many food stores now, are there? No, and in fact, you know, people don't realise that there are thousands of residents that live in the city centre, and, you know, like all the residential areas around that have local centres, well, you know, the, the city centre is our local shops, and, and we need supermarkets. We need to be able to walk there and do our, our weekly shops, just like, you know, the other residents in their residential grid squares can do the same thing. Is there anything the council can do, Rebecca, or is it out of your hands? Well, it's certainly out of the, the town council's hands, Central Milton Keynes Town Council. Um, you know, we can, we can obviously, uh, you know, write letters and encourage residents to do so, but it, it's, it's really down to the, to the main borough council to, to bring the, the owners and, uh, together and, and find a resolution to this. Dr. Uh, Rebecca Kurth, thank you very much indeed from um, Central Milton Keynes Town Council. Well, as a Sainsbury spokesman has said, we've been investigating a number of options with our landlords for the future use of our former store unit in the food centre. Unfortunately, despite a number of interested parties, there remains issues to be resolved. Now Waitrose is vacating the adjacent unit, we believe this presents new opportunities to explore with our landlords. We hope to make the most of this opportunity, and with this in mind, we've recently appointed additional consultants to review the unit with the intention of securing the delivery of this strategy. A lot of words there, but I don't actually hear anything. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Have a, a, a quick look at the rest of the newspapers, shall we? We've got them all over here. Look, I was picking up the ones we've uh, looked at already. The Daily Telegraph. Um, Labour split puts Miliband on back foot over benefits. Senior MPs admit their party has shortcomings on welfare policy and urge sweeping changes. Uh, there's that jockey who won a race, then fell off a horse. Royal Mail sale could see £1 first class stamp. Oh, blimey. The price of a first-class stamp could rise to nearly £1 within three years if Royal Mail is privatised, campaigners say. D- does anyone post letters anymore? I posted a letter at the week. I do it so rarely. I do it occasionally when I have to. I had to send some car insurance documents off. Put a stamp on. <laughs> £1 first-class? I don't think that's too bad, to be honest. No, I don't. I don't think it's the producer Laura is getting upset. You, sorry, you pulled a, you pulled a, that angry face there. I pulled my really grumpy face. Well, what's at you? A, a pound for first class? We don't really use letters anymore. No one writes letters or sends stuff unless they have to. I wouldn't mind paying a pound first class. Birthday cards, though. Most people still send birthday cards, I and don't, yeah, okay. of course, 
it's one thing putting the price of a letter up, but what then about the parcels? Yes. You can't do anything about that. If the prices go up for letters, then they'll go up for parcels, well, and then uh, it costs a fortune. You are Look at you. you. I can tell you work for the BBC. You're a scaremonger. There's nothing in this about parcels being more expensive, certainly not in the first paragraph, as that's all I've read. Letters will go up because letters, letters are loss-making because it, it, it costs so much. What is, what's a first-class stamp these days? 60 pence? Mm. Something like that. So, and for that, you post it in a box. It could be delivered to Scotland. That's not, that's, that's, that's not, it doesn't make any financial sense whatsoever. There's no incentive for Royal Mail to do it. I'm not so sure everybody would agree with you on that one. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number. I, I think, I think a quid for, to, to send a letter, right, from, let's say, from Milton Keynes to Scotland, a quid. That sounds, that sounds great value to me. Great value. And no one sends letters anymore. We do it so infrequently now. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. You'll be hard. It, honestly, sixty pence is that what a first class stamp is these days? Does it say in the uh, the story? Last year, the price of sending a first class letter rose by thirty percent from forty six p to sixty pence. There we go. Sixty pence to get a letter from Bedford to to Glasgow. That's a bargain by anyone's standards. A quid makes more sense, doesn't it? And really, anybody posting letters. But no. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Travel news now. Adam Glynn. and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M1 still looking slow southbound from Junction 13 at Bedford to 11 at Dunstable, though not as slow as it was even 15 minutes ago. Of course, we did have the reports of the accident around Junction 11 earlier. Anti-clockwise M25 still queuing. It's one lane closed now because of the car fire earlier, which is out at Junction 16 for the M40. It is slow back to 17 at Maple Cross. The car's on the hard shoulder, the fire completely out, but lane one remains closed past it. And clockwise, the other side going past there is looking quite slow, presumably as people were queuing and having a little bit of a look. Anti-clockwise is busy from the M1 to Watford, Junction 21 to 19. The A1 is looking slow now at the Black Cat roundabout, the junction with the A42 on the Great Barford Bypass, and then as you get into London, busy again through Edgware with queues on the cameras between Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus. Trains, meanwhile, still looking good. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, you're looking good as well. Oh, you're very kind. You're welcome. Let's get the latest news and sport now, Serena Farrow. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. A Biggleswade woman who protested because she wasn't allowed to see her medical notes has been handcuffed by police. There's a warning about a telephone scam operating in Luton, which fools people into handing over their bank details. Elsewhere, supermarket chain Sainsbury has been accused of holding on to retail space in Milton Keynes Centre. It still has an empty building, despite leaving it four years ago. And the local man, Eric Compton, feels the tourism department in Bedford should be making more of its links with the Anglo-Saxon period and with King Offer. We'll be hearing more on this and how it can be done in just a moment here on BBC Three Counties Radio with Ian Lee as he'll be talking to him then. That's the latest. Now let's get all the morning sport. 
Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sport. BBC Three Counties Radio. After Saturday's goalless trot home to championship leaders Cardiff, Hornets boss Gianfranco Zola says his side is in a comfortable position ahead of their next match on the road to Peterborough. You can't afford uh, to make any mistakes because uh, we might take advantage of that. So that's what I'm looking. No pressure with us because we are happy and very pleased with the position we are playing we are playing right now. We've done everything we could and we carry on until the end and the pressure is not certainly on us. In League One, hopes for making the playoffs remain slim after MK Dons were unable to get a win. They had a goalless draw against visitors Crawley. Staying with that league and Stevenage remain unbeaten under the returning manager after a draw against Portsmouth. It did give Borough, though, a second consecutive clean sheet and Graham Wesley's happy with what he's seen so far. I've been really pleased with their response and their reaction um, and particularly pleased with the attitude that they're showing. They're, They're really applying themselves and there's some very good players at the club. Luton, meanwhile, will stay in the conference next season. It comes after a loss to Gateshead, which puts them mathematically out of reach of the playoffs. The 5-1 loss away to Gateshead sealed the fate. However, assistant manager Terry Harris says the remaining games are still important. These games now uh, have been all about really us having the opportunity to look at the players we have looking at players that are elsewhere that could come in and be beneficial to for Luton Town Football Club. Certainly for us to look at players and also for players to put a case forward for them. Turning to rugby and Saracens are through to their second Heineken Cup semi-final. It comes after beating Ulster 27 points to 16 last night. BBC Three Counties Radio, more from me at 8. Call 08459 no. Well, up until Friday, I hadn't either. He was a Saxon king, and it was claimed he was laid to rest in a chapel in the River Ouse, which later flooded. Well, one local historian is well excited about this news, and so is Justin Dealey. He's on his way with a shovel to find him. Not the... Well, find either of them would be great. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. And after a woman was handcuffed for asking to... Um, uh, just to look at her medical records. We're asking, have you ever looked at your medical records? And if you're a doctor, be honest, because you write these abbreviations on these notes. And some of them are very naughty. One of them, FFFF. Peter in Warmer Green. Peter, any idea if a doctor were to write FFFF on a patient's notes, any idea what that might mean? No idea whatsoever. No, they, they wouldn't write it about you, I can assure you. <laughs> uh, now, Peter, you've called in about um, the price of stamps. Well, It's I, a good, a good idea, about, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, it's a bad idea, really. The price of stamps going up makes perfect sense. No, not at all. Why? Well, because it, it, it breaks down the social fabric in a certain sense. I write a lot of letters... And I get some quite interesting replies back from all sorts of people. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, the new Archbishop of Canterbury. Hang on, sorry. What, Prince the, of Wales, all sorts of people. Well, but it gives well, you an insight into their character. Hang on a minute. The, the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Prince of Wales have sent you letters? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What, what did the letter from Prince uh, Charles well, say? I don't really want to discuss that. But they, did it, it gives say, you stop, stop, stop writing to me, I'm going to call the police? <laughs> no, 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 because no. they... Because they, they give you a bit of an insight into their character that you don't see. 
So a personal letter is greatly different to an email, whatever. But the, but the thing is, the Prince of Wales, if, if it, the postage went up to a pound, the first class, the Prince of Wales could still afford that, Peter. He'd still write yeah, to you. Yeah, he wouldn't get anywhere near the amount of letters. And, you, and then part of the social fabric disappears as well. Really? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But the thing is, to send a letter from Walmer Green to, let's say, Dublin... Yep. Or Belfast. Yep. will cost you 60p at the moment. Yep. That doesn't make any financial sense. Oh, God, does it? Uh, when you've got a bag full of several thousand... Well, yeah, but still, 60 <laughs> pence to travel how it's many hundreds of miles over the water? That's ridiculous. A it's quid is a much bag. more reasonable. It's only a bag. It's, it's less weight than you. <laughs> Why don't you... Have you got emails, Peter? No, I don't use it. Oh, dear me. Let, no, that's that's absolutely fine by me. Let, letters, uh, letters are from the olden days. They're from, like, the 19th century or something. They're dying out, Peter. We don't need them anymore. Yeah, but, you, but you've got people sitting at computers... Yeah. Would no other life. Well, <laughs> you've, you've, you've cut me to the, to the soul there, Peter. Oh, well, that's I, probably I true. Felt that. Perhaps you sit in the evening and yeah. sit on your computer. Well, now, isn't it funny you should say that? Because, do you know what? I'm kind of um, downgrading a little bit. Uh, this week, I'm going to try I'm going to get rid of I've got one of these fancy iPhones, right, Peter? And I'm going to get rid of it. And I'm going to get a phone, a Nokia 3410. All it does, it does phone calls, it does texts. And that's it. And I'm going to see if I can survive with that for a little while. Well, so, in, in some ways, I'm kind of agreeing with you. We do use computers goodness, too much. Goodness gracious me, some people have got really sad lives in. Haven't they, Peter? Haven't they? Haven't <laughs> they getting letters? Go on, what did Prince Charles say to you in his letter? Go on. No, 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 no. I just, uh, uh, I, uh, when I get a letter from anyone, as far as I'm concerned, that's personal. Peter in Wilmer Green, thank you very much indeed. A letter from Prince Charles. Exciting. Oh, 08459 four double five five double five. You've got to admit, first class stamp now, 60 pence, right? A letter from Walmer Green to, to Land's End, 60 pence. That, that can't make sense for Royal Mail. Putting them up, it's only 40 pence. Putting them up first class a pound makes wonderful sense. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. This story is incredible. When you dial 999 because you believe you've been the victim of credit card, uh, credit card fraud, you think you're safe. But what happens when criminals have been fooled you into thinking that you've dialed 999? Well, actually, you haven't. You're dialing the criminals. Well, this happened to one woman from Luton, Sylvia Edwards, who joins me now. Good morning, Sylvia. Good morning, Ian. Now, Sylvia, this happened um, last week, didn't it, this scam? Um, Thursday afternoon, yes. Thursday afternoon. Talk me through it. How did it start? Well, I had a gentleman phoned and said um, they were from Barclays Fraud Department and my card details had been used to obtain um, goods at Selfridges and at Argus to the tune of £2,000. Yeah. And... um, But they couldn't discuss this with me until I ran the number on the back of my... Um, so there's a, there's a number on the back of all, everyone's debit and credit cards, which is this, yes, the kind of fraud is. line, isn't there? Yes, 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 there is. And they told me to ring that and ask for Mr. Duwani. Okay. So I duly did, and um, I, mean, I can't believe how stupid I was, but I did. And the, after he put through to Mr. Duwani, he came on the phone, and he said, um, oh, yes, We've got two people in custody, yeah. but we need your help because you've got to act quickly because you can't hold them for very long. 
and um, but we need your. But I must know that I'm speaking to uh, Mrs. Edwards. So can we go through the um, security check with you? So I did. You know, name, date of birth, parents' name, and things like that. So hey, presto, they now got all my security details, not only for my cards but for my bank statements. So. Having done that, um, they said, well, you are convinced now that you are speaking to them and we would like you to go and draw out £6,000. I said, I can't do that. I was horrified. Oh, you would be horrified. <laughs> Blimey. I, said, I can't do that. So I said, oh, yes. I said, he said, well, you know, we'll give you protection to get you home, but you must go and draw it and then wait further instructions. And if you don't believe us, you dial 999 and speak to a Mr... Emmis Roy, he is at Charing Cross Fraud Squad, and he will um, speak to you. So I duly did that. I'm oh, what an idiot. <laughs> I did that. Well, no, Sylvia, then, you say you're an idiot, I- an idiot, but it all sounds very, very convincing. Well, this is why I've come on air today. It's taken me a great deal of courage to come on air because... I feel so stupid. With hindsight, looking back, I do have a few little grey cells in my brain, and to think that I was taken in like that is absolutely... Well, I, it's horrendous. Well, you... No, listen, you sound, you sound completely sensible. I was thinking you were going to sound a bit, you know, airy-fairy, but you sound, <laughs> you sound very grounded and very down-to-earth. So you dialed, oh, yes. you dialed what you thought was the police. You called 999. Yes, I did. And what happened yes. then? Um, well, I said, um... They said, which sir, this is? And they said, well, it's not really an emergency, if I was instructed to say. I need um, to speak to the fraud squad at Charing Cross. Have you got an extension? Yes, extension 25. Putting you through. And then um, I got through this, and I said, Dirk, come on the phone. And he said, Amy, before here. And I thought, um, you know, I've been, I'm Mrs. Edwards, I, I've been asked to ring you. Oh, yes, you've been waiting for your call. Also, so polite, yeah. so plausible, and... You know, and um, and they did more they more they, they did all the voices and everything as well, did they? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. They, I, and I was getting more and more sucked into this, and more and more panicked. The fact that two thousand pounds had now gone out of my account. So um, now, what Mister Dwani told you was absolutely correct. Now you can put the phone down. Rest assured, it's all in safe hands, and Mister Dwani will phone you, which he duly did in about five minutes. And said, now I want you to go to the bank. And I said, all right, put the phone down. But I didn't. I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I just can't possibly go to the bank. In any case, I said, it's 20 to 5. The bank will be closed. So he said, about half an hour, he rings back. Did you get the money? No, um, I couldn't. All right, then, we'll go around this another way. We do need to help you get your money back, Mrs. Edwards. Oh, they sound so kind. Oh, yes. Don't they just? They're so lovely. And so, um, if you put your um, bank statements, one for each account, you see, the scary thing about all this, they knew so much about me. And this is a scary thing. Uh, they knew my address, they knew my name, they knew my telephone number, they knew I'd bought with bankers and know how many counts I'd got. And this is, I think, that's scary. So anyway, I did. I put these bank statements and cards into a white envelope. And lo and behold, 15 minutes later, phone rings again. He's outside. Oh, dear. And I go, I open the front door. He's at the front door, actually. And the big black car, I should have, with hindsight, got the, the um, number. The registration paper, number, I yeah. I didn't. And, you know, by this time I'm shaking. I'm absolutely petrified. And he didn't say a word. He just looked at me, and I just handed him this 
white envelope with everything in with everything oh, in it but not my pin number which they did ask for and for some reason um i didn't put my pin number in there so he he jumps in the car he's got he's got your cards and your bank details and everything he drives yeah. off uh, uh, what point At did you think? Point, hang on I'm, a second. This this is all a bit odd. Because of his behaviour, he he wasn't. Hello, Mrs. Edward. Blood, blood. He just stood there and looked at me like a zombie, mm. and I I just handed him this and uh, and shut the door. So I think um, then I panicked. I did, and I rang my son and I spoke to my son's partner, and she said he's been scanned. Mm. I didn't know. Then I really went hysterical. And she said, ring the police, don't ring, ring on your mobile and not on the house line. Uh, so that I did. And then I managed to get through that. But I must say, people do complain about the banks, but the bank was brilliant. Oh, in, in situations like this, they, they do jump brilliant. up, don't they? Yes. Yeah. But how how uh, helpful were the police? What did the, what did the police do? Well, the police, you know, by this time I was crying on the phone and quite hysterical. And she said, ring, um, you know, you've got to ring Barclays immediately. So I haven't got any numbers. They've got everything. And, you know, it would take me ages to go and root through to try and find some old bank statement with a number on it. And, and so... She said, she happened to have, I know somebody here, actually, that worked for Barclays originally, and she's, she would probably be able to help, and she did. This um, police lady came back with a number and said, ring this immediately, immediately ring it, which I did. So, um, yeah, it was... Um, so you've, l- you've, lost, the- you've lost no money, have you? The bank stepped in I've in time and stopped everything. I've not lost any money. Okay, I've that's something. I've not lost any money, but, at this point, but my bank account is still not 100% safe. Right. It's not just about the cards and stopping the yeah. card. It's the fact that they have got my security details and the amount of um, inconvenience I've had to go to the bank. Yeah. Because what the, when I rang the Barclay card people, they said, you must go to the bank first thing in the morning because, yes, we can block these cards and no money's gone out of your account, but they have access to your um, account. If they ring up, they will clear security because you've given them all the, all the security details. Well, it, it is so a that, pain, but the, I know f- from personal experience that the bank will be able to make your, your account secure and make sure they well, can't touch anything. It, so don't it, worry. It, it, that they put a mantle of protection around my account to the fact that I can't get it. Oh. <laughs> I can't get it. I'm having great well, maybe it's, maybe it's a good thing, Sylvia, because maybe you're spending thing. too much. Sylvia, oh, so. Sylvia, listen, I, so. I, I, I appreciate you coming on. I know it's a, it's, it's a, a brave thing to come on, and a lot of people will be listening to this and, and yeah. um, What I would like grateful. to say to them is the advice that the, the bank manager gave me. Never, never give your bank details. No, well, no. no bank will ever ring and ask. No. And also, I'm just concerned where they got all my details. I'm very, um, um, very careful. Maybe make sure all your personal stuff is shredded. We'll be speaking to a scam expert later on. I'll ask them. Sylvia, listen, we have to move on. Before I go, can I just ask you one more question? Yes. What What is your pin number? <laughs> You're not going to fall for that, are you? No, again, will I fall for anything? I, I like thought that? it was worth a try. <laughs> Sylvia Edwards, thank you very much indeed. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Very brave of her to come on. I think she. You can tell. Um, it was a. She's laughing about it. But what a horrible experience! What a what nasty, nasty people! What scams have you um, been made aware of recently? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Here's the travel news now. Adam Glynn. 
Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Looking at the train departure boards first off this morning, and they're still looking pretty good. We've got no issues, no problems and delays. M1 southbound, still slow from Bedford to the Toddington services, so it's looking a little bit better than it was, but busy nonetheless. Anti-clockwise M25 starting to improve as well, because all lanes have now opened after that car fire at Junction 16. Still slow back to 17 at Maple Cross, though. Anti-clockwise also busy from the M1 at Junction 21 through to 19 at Watford. The M40 starting to look slow toward London between Junction 5 at Stoke and Church and 4 at High Wycombe. If you're driving in toward London on the A1, southbound queues in Edgware between Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus. And in Arkley, Barnet Road, the A411, there has been an accident. It's near the Rowley Green Road. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much. Right, 7.47. It's Monday the 8th of April. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police have apologised for handcuffing a Biggleswade woman when all she wanted was to see her medical notes. Supermarket chain Sainsbury has been accused of holding onto retail space in Milton Keynes Centre as it still hasn't done anything with its old building, which it vacated four years ago. And in sport, Luton are mathematically out of reach of the playoffs and so will stay in the conference next season. Coming up, King Offa, everyone's favourite king. Sorry, you've never heard of him? Well, he was a Saxon king and it was claimed he was laid to rest in a chapel on the River Ouse, which later flooded. One local historian is very excited about this news. One local reporter is also very excited about this news. His name is Justin Dealey and he's on his way to meet him, the historian, before 8 o'clock. But before that, let's get the latest weather. Here's Kate Kinsella. Beds, Hearts and Bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it's certainly a bit of a different feel to today than we had over the weekend. Temperatures outside at the, at the moment, for some of us, are below freezing. So some pockets of frost out there this morning, but slowly the temperature is rising just a little bit. Rather grey, less sun and more wind. So temperature-wise, it's going to struggle today. And even when the temperatures do start to pick up a little bit, it's going to feel a lot colder than it is due to a raw easterly breeze. Now, there's one or two isolated showers around through today. We've already seen a few... Uh, out towards High Wycombe and Watford, for example, but they're going to come and go throughout the course of the day. A lot of cloud around and temperatures struggling up to 8 Celsius, 46 degrees in Fahrenheit, but like I said, it's not going to feel like that at all. Now, overnight, we'll still have one or two showers around first thing, but it will dry out, becoming dry. Cloud building up towards the early hours of tomorrow morning and the wind staying with us. So that puts pay to temperatures dipping too low. They're still getting down to 1 or 2 Celsius, but hopefully we shouldn't see too much much frost tomorrow morning. Now for tomorrow it's a rather cloudy picture, some occasional rain around. We've got this weather system moving towards us but by the time it gets up to the three counties it does separate a little bit or break up so the the, the rain is more occasional for example so a little bit wet tomorrow but that brisk easterly breeze is hanging on so the temperature only getting up to 7 Celsius but it will feel cooler than that. That's your forecast. Thank you very much. Every weekday morning from nine. The JVS Show. With the biggest questions. Today on the big phone-in, I'm asking, would you support some dog breeds being removed from this country? Should traffic wardens be more lenient? Would the government be right to drop the minimum price for alcohol? And the biggest opinions. I think the tax is completely unfair. It doesn't matter how old they are or how young they are. They're still your children. It doesn't matter whether it's male or female or what. I'm disgusted with the people that... 
You should have cut them people off. The JVS Show. Weekdays from nine. On BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't, don't worry, I haven't forgotten. We're, we're talking about medical notes and the uh, abbreviations that doctors write on them. I've been sent a list of some of them. FFFF is one of them. If you can guess what that is, 08459 455 555. If we get time before 8 o'clock, I'll ask Justin to see if he knows. But is Bedford missing a trick over its connections with the Saxon King offer? It's claimed he was laid to rest in a chapel on the River Ouse, which later flooded. Well, Eric Compton lives in the town. He feels the tourism department in Bedford should be making more of its link with the Anglo-Saxon period and with King Offer. Well, we sent our uh, Anglo-Saxon correspondent, Justin Dealey, Offer to find out about this very clever Ian <laughs> so, sorry I've made my set the scene for us Justin exactly where I am yes. <laughs> I'm, on the, uh, I'm on the banks of the River Ouse it's absolutely beautiful this morning now before this morning's programme you had never heard of King Offer how very dare you you'd never heard of him had you I, I had no idea who Offer was no no uh, a lot of people also he was Offer um, my radar <laughs> oh, this is getting a bit much now. I know. So I'm here in Bedford, I'm on the banks of the River Ouse, and I've been asking people whether they know about King Offer. We'll talk to Eric in just a second, but uh, here's some of those views. And we have a spade. We are looking for King Offer. What would it mean to you if we found his remains today? Oh, I think I'd be quite pleased, but wouldn't hold a party or anything. Yes, yeah, it doesn't mean... So before this bizarre conversation, had you ever heard of King Offer before? No, 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 I hadn't. No. So you'd be happy, but you wouldn't have a party. Do you think it would boost tourism in Bedford? If it was marketed in the right way, yes. Yeah, it could help. You st- don't convince me, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying my hardest. Thank you very much indeed. Have a good day. Thank you, Anne. There is actually a man here who has heard of King Offer. Most people here haven't heard of King Offer, but there is a man here who has heard of him. Um, sir, can you just uh, repeat your name for us again, if you don't mind? Simon. Simon, you have heard of King Offer? I have heard of King Offer. What do you know about him? <laughs> no, not a lot beyond having heard of him. Okay. <laughs> so you're here at the rowing club. If your rowing club was dug up to look for King Offer, can you tell me how that would make you feel? <laughs> um, as long as we were given somewhere else to live while we dug it up, that would be fine. Okay. So you have heard of him, that's one thing. Have you ever heard of King Offer, madam? No, sorry. I mean, if we found him today, would you maybe hold a party? Would you be excited? I don't even know who he is, so, so no. You <laughs> don't care in the slightest about King Offer? <laughs> don't even know who he is. Apparently he would boost tourism, it'd make you feel proud to live in Bedford, but, but clearly that's not the case, is it? Mm, no, no, I've sorry. I've got a spare spade. Do you want to come and give us a hand? No, it's all right, thanks. Okay, thank you. <laughs> There you go, Ian. So uh, people like yourself haven't really heard of him and they're not willing to, to, to come with us with the space and try and find him. I've got a couple of guests here live at the radio car by the River Ouse. One of those is Eric Compton. Eric, thank you for your time. You're live across Beds, Hearts and Bucks. Um, who was King Offer, very briefly, and why was he so important? King Offer was the greatest king of Mercia. He ruled nearly three-quarters of uh, England. He met Charlemagne. He fought numerous battles. His wife, Sintritha, she was the abbess of a monastery in Bedford, which actually stood on prior to St Paul's uh, Church now. And uh, he expressed his eye before he died in 797. He wanted to be buried in Bedford. Eric, what would it mean to you if his remains were found here in Bedford? Oh, everything. I mean, because already the world is over the discovery of the remains of Richard III at Leicester. And now Barry St Edmunds are looking for the remains of King Edmunds in Bedford. 
This is what it wants. Okay, your son's here as well, Richard Compton. Richard, again, thanks for your time this morning. Um, the historians at St Albans Abbey, they're, they're dousing this Bedford connection, aren't they? Um, what's your thoughts on that? Dousing the Bedford connections? Well, the thing is that there's no doubt about it, right? With all the historical facts and evidence that King Offa was buried in Bedford, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Matthew Parrish, okay, who wrote the Chronicles of St Albans Abbey, basically said that uh, it's buried here. There is strong evidence here. It's just a matter of finding it. Richard, do people really care? I think basically, right, history has gone down here in one way or another, okay, but this is one way to invigorate, especially something for this town. There's no doubt about it. You know, I've done enough research now to look into getting maybe like a diving team involved. Uh, let's have some action now. Let's try and put something a bit positive into town. Let's bring back history, the history mark of Bethel again. But realistically, a couple of final questions for you. Realistically, how long would it take to find the remains of King Offa? Because we're talking here about a big job, aren't we? We're talking, we are talking a very big job, though, but we have to start from somewhere. It's like anything in life, OK? We need to put the investment into it. Let's try it. Let's see what let's see what's out there. Let's try and gain the evidence. You know, we have to we have to be positive about it. And I think it's a great start. The, the overall media impact is quite quite strong regarding King Offer. So so let's just let's just do it. Okay. Know. And just lastly, that this is a point that Ian raised earlier on. A lot of controversy recently about uh, these proposals for the Bedford Riverside development. Of course, just over there to our right hand side. Is this some sort of ploy to say King Offer is here? We need to dig up the area. So if that goes ahead, that means that the Riverside development will be halted. Am I being um, a bit cheeky with that question? I think as a, I think I think we just said Justin is actually very true in some ways. You know, but we have to try and override this in some ways, and uh, you know. This is a real king we're talking about here, okay, and it's a, it's a strong importance. You know, I support my dad. My dad was actually on Free Counts Radio over 10 years about this. Yeah. So let's just move it forward and let's, let's sort of try and override what Bever Council have to say and look ahead. Got to leave it there, gents. Thank you very much for your time. Eric and Richard Compton, well, they Justin, are passionate. I, I yes. was, I'm st- we didn't really get an answer to that last question. It, it, would this halt plans for the development that, that was being built there? Well, it, it quite possibly could, in terms of halting the, the plans. If, for example, you had firm evidence that King Offer was buried here, around this area, do you honestly think it would halt the plans for those developments here in Bedford? Yes, definitely. But we are talking about a royal king. You know, there's no about it, OK? I know uh, that it may king. halt plans for having a cinema or in particular, OK? But as is, this is the most strongest historical, you know, if we, if we come across, let's say, King Offer in Bedford, how can you get more stronger than that? I mean, it's just—it's a royal king. It's a yes, then, Ian. There it's you go. A royal it's king. a yes. It's, I didn't realise it was one of those royal kings that we hear so much about. <laughs> they're, they're, I, I, all I'm suggesting, Justin, is that, that there are, and I'm sure these gentlemen don't consider this in the slightest, but, but some people might um, interpret this as, as a ploy to, div- to halt or at least postpone what is being seen as a controversial yeah. building development. That's... Um, yeah. The point quite I'm possibly, quite yes. possibly. But then again, you heard during the interview that yep. Eric was talking about this 10 years ago. So th- yep. th- this is nothing new. He's been talking about it for a long time and they want something done about it. Fascinating. I, and I do, I, I love it when people are passionate about history, Justin. We don't get enough mm, of that. Mm. And, and these two gentlemen obviously are. So thank, thank them very much for coming on. Justin, before I let you go, yeah. uh, we've been asking about medical notes. Oh, here we go. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've got yours here in the studio. Uh, no, we yeah, haven't. Very, yeah. no. But uh, doctors often leave little abbreviations Abbreviations on there, and one of them apparently is FFFF. Any idea if a doctor were to write that, they wouldn't write it on your notes, yes. but if, if they were to write FFFF, any idea what that might mean? I have got absolutely no idea whatsoever. Female, fat, 40, and flatulent. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, is that the case? <laughs> doctors are so rude, aren't they? Well, I've used that one myself. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know what context you use that in, Justin. But thank you very much indeed. Female, fat, flatulent and faulty. How rude. Doesn't describe anyone here. Yeah. Here's the travel with Adam. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still got queues on the M25. It's looking busy anti-clockwise after the car fire earlier this morning at Junction 16 for the M40. Busy back to Junction 18 at Chorleywood, despite the fact the lanes are open. It's also looking slow past Kings Langley at Junction 20 from there round to Watford. If you're using the M40 in toward London, it's slow from Stoke and Church to High Wycombe, Junction 5 to 4. The A1 into London round Edgware is looking slow between Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus. We've also got a little bit of a queue still on the M1. Southbound, we had reports of that accident earlier near Junction 11. As far as we know, it's all gone, but it's busy from Junction 13 at Bedford to the Toddington Services. And then as you get in toward London, round Arkley, Barnet Road, the A411, an accident at Rowley Green Road. On the trains, no reported problems. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Coming up in the next hour, scams and posting letters. More after the news with Serena. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines. Bedfordshire woman gets apology from police. Loot and pension are duped by sophisticated scam. And concerns over empty shop in Milton Keynes. BBC Three Counties Radio. Bedfordshire police has apologised to a Biggleswaid woman for handcuffing her. She was at the time protesting because she wasn't allowed to see her medical notes. 67-year-old Mary Kurzweil went to the town's health centre in order to check for corrections after a mix-up with another patient's details. But she wasn't allowed to see her full record. So she then had a sit-in protest. Bedfordshire Police, though, have since admitted it could have acted in a less intrusive manner. And stay listening as we'll be hearing from Dr Philip Hobson, who'll be speaking to Ian Lee here on BBC Three Counties Radio shortly after this bulletin. In other news, supermarket chain Sainsbury has been accused of holding on to retail space in Milton Keynes Centre. It still has an empty shop it vacated four years ago. It's feared the store's former shop, the food centre, is seen as unattractive by retailers. Well, these shoppers say something needs to be done. Complete waste of resource. There's other shops that have been trying to get into the city centre for years and they've kept them out, like Primark. Um, yeah, and they've got this big building empty. It's also keeping out competition, which is probably the point of it. I find it with the buses, it's more awkward to get to the new one than it was to get to this one. Well, Sainsbury says it's been investigating a number of options for the future use, but there are still issues which need to be sorted first. Milton Keynes Town Council, however, says it's having a detrimental effect on the local economy. Dr Rebecca Kurth is the chair of the council. The, the city centre is in danger of, of hollowing out at the rate we're going. I'd like to see Sainsbury negotiate you know, a, a deal with the, the owners of the shopping building so that we can have a, a new supermarket in there. Now, a looter woman is warning people about a telephone scam which involves people handing over their bank details. Sylvia Edwards says the scammers asked her to dial 999 to check the call was genuine. However, she ended up speaking to the fraudsters themselves and not the police. But the situation only got worse, as she told Ian Lee earlier this morning. I put these bank statements and cards into a white envelope and lo and behold, 15 minutes later, phone rings again. He's outside. Oh, dear. But this time I'm shaking. He just looked at me and I just handed him this white envelope. With everything in. With everything oh, in it. But not my PIN number, which they did ask for. 
Bedford's being urged to make more of its historical links, including the possible burial place of the Saxon King Offer, and it'll also give local tourism a boost, apparently. Well, local man Richard Compton says they need to bring history back to life. But this is one way to invigorate, especially something for his town, there's no doubt about it. You know, I've done enough research now to look into getting maybe like a diving team involved. Uh, let's have some action now. Let's try and put something a bit positive into town. Let's bring back history, the history mark of Bedford again. Moving on to football and Luton will now stay in the conference next season after a loss to Gateshead, which puts them mathematically out of reach of the playoffs now. So there will be a chance of a few isolated showers, but mostly dry today. Temperatures 8 degrees Celsius. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio first for news. Dear listener, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, inspired by the, the little bit of sunshine we had at the weekend. Yes, it was cold, but it was bright and cold. I think things may be turning. They, they, they may not, but I, I'd like to think they are. Uh, coming up between now and nine o'clock, Bedfordshire Police have apologised after a woman was handcuffed for demanding to see her medical notes. I'll be speaking to a doctor to find out what rights you have to see your own notes. A Luton woman has come onto this show to warn you about a new type of scam. She doesn't want other people to fall victim to the same trick. It involved her calling 999 and scammers then turning up at her front door. You'll hear her story in about half an hour. And we'll also find out why Sainsbury's in Milton Keynes is holding onto a building it vacated four years ago. And stamps might go up to a quid for first class. I don't see any problem with that. I mean... No one writes that many letters. And for the service you get, a pound seems perfectly reasonable to me. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can give me a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. A 67-year-old woman who was handcuffed for demanding to see her medical notes has received an apology from Bedfordshire Police. Mary Kurzweil went to Biggleswade Health Centre to check for corrections following a mix-up with another patient's details. But what rights do you have over your own medical records? Dr Phil Hobson joins me now. Good morning, Dr Phil Hobson. Good morning. Doctor, if I wanted to see my medical records, can I just storm into my local surgery and demand to see them? How does it work? Uh, In effect, you can. Uh, the law changed about 15 years ago, uh, and patients had the right to see and read their medical records uh, for the previous 10 years. So if we take that from now, you are quite uh, within your rights to look at your medical records going back about 25 years. Wow. Uh, and why did that law... Because when up until 15 years ago, when that law changed, they, they were private, weren't they? They, they, were, were. they were the doctor's own possession. Yeah. The, the medical records are still uh, the, um, the, the health authority uh, uh, and Department of Health. They are the owners of the records. Right. But patients are allowed to see them. There is a small fee if you want to charge it. Right. I don't think any doctors would do. It's about £10. Uh, the only thing they can't do is they can't take the medical records away from the surgery. They've right. got to read them in the surgery. Uh, and a lot of the records are now electronic ones. So what I would normally do is if a patient asked to see his or her medical records, I would give them the old written records and they can look through them. Even 
past 25 years, they can look longer. And uh, we would give them a printout of the electronic ones that they can look at. Now, they don't have to actually sit with the doctor and go through it with him, though. They've got to read them for themselves. And right. if they've got any queries then, they can raise those questions. Why do people ask to see their records? What reasons do they give? Uh, very rarely, actually. I, I've only been asked uh, by a patient to see their records on about six or seven occasions uh, in the past 20, 25 years or more. Um, so I think they're more concerned that something has been written in those records uh, that is not true, mm. uh, or they're concerned if it's a younger patient, uh, someone over the age of 16, if there's anything in those records that they wouldn't want their parents to see usually a young girl that's uh, perhaps uh, on contraception, which doesn't matter much these days, or had a, a termination of pregnancy, and uh, parents don't know. Could I get something taken off my record if I, if I was unhappy with it? No. That's, that stays there, that's permanent? Yeah. Uh, the, the reason that Mary Kurzweil, the lady in this story, wanted to check her records is because she believed there'd been a mix-up with uh, a, an, another patient. Does that... I, I, I know it doesn't happen very often, but, but can that happen? It can happen, yeah. Uh, it's more likely to happen now where doctors change so readily. Um, in my day, you stayed with the practice for 30 or 40 years, mm. uh, but now doctors are, uh, are changing all the time, and some only stay three or four years. So they don't know the patients. Uh, so it's quite easy to have someone with a, a similar name uh, and you put something on those records and it's not that patient at all. Uh, who else gets to see these records? Is it just the doctor and the patient? The doctor and the patient, strictly speaking, or a solicitor. Uh, if there's some claim for anything, a solicitor can, with the patient's permission, ask for a complete copy of the medical records. They don't get the original ones, mm. but we photocopy all the records and send them to the solicitor. Can I ask you a question? Just go off on a slight tangent. I'm, I, I've moved recently and I'm trying to join a new doctor's surgery and obviously yeah. you have to take in some proof of where you live. And I took in my driving licence, which has got a photo of me and uh, my address, and the lady behind the counter said, oh no, we can't accept that because they, they're too easy to forge. And I said, well, what would you like? She said, oh, we need a, 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 a bank statement or a bill. We would never ask that. Uh, my practice is works up in Nottinghamshire. Uh, we would certainly never ask for any ID at all. We oh. would just take the patient's word for it. Oh, really? Yeah. And also, I would have thought driving licence one of the hardest things to uh, to forge. Uh, are, are you aware? I've heard legend of these doctor from from other doctors um, of the uh, an acronyms that pe doctors write in notes that can some that can sometimes be a little bit rude about patients. Uh, are you aware of these or is this a myth? No, it isn't a myth at all. But that's changed now. Right. Uh, because with patients having access to their records, uh, we don't write those now. Uh, a typical one was uh, F-A-W, meaning F all wrong <laughs> when you examined a patient. <laughs> Uh, but um, <laughs> Thank you for censoring yourself there, Doctor. I appreciate yes, that. But I've not tended to write that now for several years. But did you, would you have written that in the past? You, you, could have, you could have described someone as an FAW. Yes. <laughs> You're so naughty. <laughs> uh, and, and doctors were aware of these, and it was kind of a common language. Did you have, like, a module when you were at doctor training school or something where you learnt all these? Uh, yes, some of our consultants who were our teachers used to use them all the time. Wow. So we picked them up. It depends on the medical school, I think. Yeah. Uh, but you, um, you've stopped using those now that people have access oh to their yes, records. I never use it now. Excellent stuff. Well, Dr. Phillips, I do, I do appreciate you joining me. I appreciate your honesty. And I appreciate you censoring yourself there. Uh, F-A-W. I, I shan't explain what it means again, but that's a... <laughs>
Oh, that's made me laugh. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Have you ever asked to see your medical records? I'd be honest, I'm kind of tempted to have a look now. I'm sure that I'm sure that my doctor at some point would have written FAW about me. I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of tempted. Yes, super lols, super lols at that. Thank you very much. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We're also talking scams this morning. After one lady, uh, it was it was an incredible scam. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, pl- talk more about her a little bit later on. I've been asking you what what scams have have touched your life, and have you ever fallen for them? Well, Margaret's from Milton Keynes. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning. What what scams have you been made aware of? Uh, well, I got an email from NatWest um, trying to persuade me to internet banking, and I'm very much against that. Uh, I had a conversation with the NatWest Bank previously already, about a year ago, yes. and um, the, the lady tried to put me onto it and show me how to uh, get all my bank statements from, from the internet and everything like that. And But then I had a quick with my computer, so I went in there and said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not doing it. Yes. And uh, two days ago I got, got that email, so I went in, and first of all, as I've changed my email address, I asked them where the heck they got it from. Yes. And um, then uh, not to send me any more of that. And yes. she said, we never send e- emails as far as internet, as far as internet banking is concerned. Mm. We never send any emails. It's all done by letter. And it, it looked convincing, did it, Margaret? It looked very convincing, yes. You do think, obviously, you were sensible enough to, to call up the bank, but it does make you think that then, and, and if I saw an email from my bank, I'd d- dismiss well, it instantly. I, I but went into that email, but yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm total ignorant uh, about internet in any yes. case and uh, things like that, so uh, I just uh, discarded it afterwards. Margaret, can I ask you a question? You have, to, and you don't have to answer this if it's too personal. You have the most wonderful accent. Where is your accent from? Uh, well, what kind of accent do you think I have? Uh, that's a very good question. I was trying to think. I was first of all, I thought it was a little bit Greek, but uh, it, it's not Greek. No, it's not Greek. No, it's uh, uh, Ukrainian. No, I don't. Uh, Polish. No, it's not Italian. It's Austrian. Is it Austrian? Yes. I would never have guessed that in a million years. But with, with a mixture of Scottish. How? I hadn't picked up the Scottish until you said Scottish, and then that came across. How come there's a mixture of Scottish in there as well? Did you spend some time there? No, my husband was Scottish. <laughs> and so you picked up a bit of accent from him, did you? Yes. It sounds marvellous, and it's wonderful to hear such a rich accent this morning. Margaret, thank you so much for coming on. That's all right. Margaret from Milton Keys. Now she said there's Scottish in it, that's all I could hear was the Scottish. When she said that's all right, that was, that was a full-on Scottish accent. I would never have guessed Austrian. Wonderful. Wonderful. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Quick look at the other three papers that we've not looked at. Uh, the Daily Mail. What an insult to Christians! I can't even be bothered to read that story. Druid. Well, I'll read a bit. Druids, vegans, and green activists should be given special treatment at work, according to lunatic advice from the Equalities Watchdog. Um, okay. The Daily Express. Proof statins save your life. New research shows benefit of wonder drug. And Amanda Holden is having a fight with Mumsnet. Don't fight Mumsnet, Amanda. You can't win. And The Sun. There's a picture of a lady with huge knockers uh, on a bicycle. Uh, and prison exclusive. At last, Philpot is forced to work. Job as jail Mr Mop is first in ten years. Um, there we go. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Right, travel news now. 
Glenn. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. And it's still the M1 that's looking pretty slow. Southbound from Junction 13 at Bedford through to the Toddington Services. The M40 is busy too, from Junction 5 at Stoke and Church to 4 at High Wycombe. And if you're joining the M25, expect a queue anti-clockwise. We've got busy traffic building from Junction 20 at Kings Langley round to 19 at Watford. And then from 18 at Chorleywood through to 16 at the M40. That not helped, of course, by the car fire at Junction 16 earlier this morning. Everything reopened about 7.30, but traffic hasn't really eased off particularly. Heading in toward London in Edgware, there are queues on the A1 southbound between Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus, and an accident in Arkley along the Barnet Road, the A411, that's near the Rowley Green Road Junction. Looking at the train departure boards for you this morning, and things are still looking pretty good, with no major problems or delays reported. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Right, it's 8.15, it's uh, Monday the 8th of April, I'm Ian Lee These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio Police who handcuffed a 67-year-old woman All because she wanted to see her medical notes have apologised Residents and Milton Keynes Council say an empty store Which Sainsbury previously occupied is detrimental to the local economy And Saracens are through to their second Heineken Cup semi-final After beating Ulster last night The weather today forbids hearts and bucks The chance of a few isolated showers hours but most places will stay dry some bright intervals also lightly maximum temperature is eight degrees coming up before 8 30 we'll find out why sainsbury's and milton Keynes is holding on to a building it vacated four years ago bbc three counties radio BBC Introducing is your chance to hear unsigned, undiscovered and under-the-radar music on BBC Three Counties Radio. We showcase the best emerging talent from across beds, hearts and bucks with live sessions and exclusive recordings. And this Saturday, we're taking BBC Introducing to the Hat Factory in Luton for a free night of live music. Tune in or come down and discover music you never knew existed. BBC Introducing this Saturday night from 8 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Jonathan Vernon Smith. Taking a fashion tip from uh, Justin Dealey this morning. Yeah, that's right. Look well, at you. No, I'll, uh, your I'll, button's down to your navel. I'll level with you. This shirt has always got this... The, the way the buttons are placed... Yes. I bought this in South America. It's a gorgeous shirt. Yes. Uh, but the buttons... Pale, have, pale blue, baby blue. ...have been placed in a certain way where you either have it done up too high... Yes. ...so you look like a schoolboy... Or you have it done too low, ah, tiger, and you ah. show a little bit of uh, man boobage. Yeah, look at you. It looks good. I didn't realise you were so hairy <laughs> down there. Oh my there God. No, I didn't realise. <laughs> I thought you might be a waxer. You don't wax. You thought I was a wax. <laughs> I thought you might be a waxer because you're so well groomed. And as you, you've pointed, first thing you came and pointed out my bed head, which is which is fine. You would never have bed head, <laughs> and I thought you'd be a waxer. But you know, you've gone for the dealy, and I, I've got to be honest, you wear it better than he does. I wish he did some of his buttons up. He, he disgusts me, Justin. Did he really disgusts me? Does he disgust you? 
<laughs> no, he's, he's of course he's Oh, he's a deviant. Why is he disgusting? Wandering around with his shirt half done. All right, girl, make me a cup of coffee. Girl, look at me with my look at my nipples. <laughs> he's really very. Did I tell you about the time he and I came out of that bar in Harpenden? You've never told me this. No, Ken's <laughs> going on the table on this thing. He, he was wearing one of his low-cut tops. <laughs> <laughs> he does dress funny with a ja- with a jacket. He, he, won't, show- he won't be listening to us now. He's digging for a dead king. <laughs> he was he, he was showing so much chest, and we came out of this uh, out of this pub, and this bloke standing there having a cigarette. He turned to Justin. And he said, "Is it uh, is it fancy dress or is that a lady's top?" And it probably was Justin was mortified. Top. He was absolutely mortified. You reminded me of the best insult I've ever had. It was wearing this jacket. I'm wearing a green... Would you describe this as a bomber jacket, kind of? I don't know. It's a green bomber jacket. jacket. It's I don't an know. anorak. This is not an anorak. It's an anorak. <laughs> anorak. a bomber. Look at you trying to say that old Anyway, book. I was wearing this, this green jacket. I may have had... Um, a hat on, I don't know. And I walked past some builders with my wife. My wife is hot. And these builders were doing the thing that builders do when women walk past. It was horrible. It was all sleazy. Oh. And one of them nudged one of their mates and went, well, look at that. And I, I, and I turned to them, I said, excuse me, fellas, I'm, I'm here. I, this is my wife. <laughs> a little bit of respect. And I was walking down the street with my wife and, and they kind of stayed there. And we kind of had a little bit of argy-bargy, a little bit of shouting as I was walking away. Mm. Uh, and I was telling him, get, get, jog on, fellas, get a bit of respect. <laughs> and this guy turned to me and went, all right, Glenn Miller, shut up. He called me Glenn Miller. <laughs> Glenn Miller. <I> <laughs> and he must have been, like, in his late 20s. I thought it was a very odd... Do I look like the missing airman and band leader, Glenn Miller? Do I? <laughs> no, I'm gonna don't. Go- I'm going to Google Glenn you Miller. Do, you don't look anything like Glenn Miller. I'm going to Google Glenn Miller. Let me just. He wore specs. Glenn Miller. Was he, was he a spectacle wearer? Let's have a little... You weren't singing the Chattanooga Choo Choo as you walked away, were you? <laughs> I was blowing on a trombone at the time. <laughs> that from... there's, there's Glenn Miller. Do I... <laughs> I, do look... I, don't look I, do, I do look a bit... I've got the same hair. <laughs> and I, I smoke cigarettes the same way. <clears throat> oh, dear, oh, dear. No, Glenn you Miller. don't look like Glenn Miller. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jonathan. I can always come to you for a kindly word. You look like... Um, what's his name? Dingle. Oh, for goodness sakes. What's on your show this morning? Although I probably won't be listening. Have you... Uh, why not? That's a bit wicked. Well, you, I'm not going to listen to someone who thinks I'm a dingle. Um, talk about the comments from Boris Johnson. I need to have a cough. Can I have a cough? Yeah. <coughs> I don't think anyone heard that. Sorry, we, good. We'll, we'll cut that bit out. Um, I want to talk about Boris Johnson's comments in today's Telegraph. What's he said? He's written a very interesting article. Uh, and I'm going to be asking from Nine, is Boris Johnson right to question the British work ethic? Mm. Um, there's this interesting column. Um, he... He details a conversation that he had with a British cafe owner who employs mostly migrant workers. And the the woman that he spoke to, she blames the schools in this country for not teaching our youngsters that they'll they'll have to work hard in order to make the money. Apparently, children are taught, oh, yes, you can earn lots of money, but they're not taught you've got to work really hard for Mm. that money. And she said that's why 90% of her workers are from abroad, because they they come here with a hard-working ethic. Yep. From nine this morning, I want to hear your views on this. Do you think Boris Johnson is right to question the British work ethic? Is that a fair comment to make? Or do you think it's, it's really unfair? And many British people, particularly young British people, they do have a very good work ethic. They do really want to work as hard as they possibly can from start to finish. Or are they always looking for an opportunity to skive? Is that something rather British? I think it is. 
whenever British people get the opportunity to clock off work five, ten minutes early, yeah. they can't wait. They're out the door, aren't they? I had Polish builders do up my house, okay? I got, I got a lot of flack for, for getting Polish people in. They gave the best quote, and they were wonderful. They turn up at seven every morning. Some nights they were there at half seven. But I thought, okay, I'm going to get some British builders in, to, to one to install a window and one company to install a floor. I wish I hadn't bothered. The people that come and laid the floor, they turn up half past ten in the morning. They left at half past three. Took them two days to do it. And on the second day, I saw them going, and they hadn't put all of the furniture back like they said they would. I went, oi! Oi! And they came and did it. Oh, if we have to. Can you not get... One of them said, can you not get the Polish fellas to do this? I said, no, I can't get the Polish fellas to do this. So I, the, my encounters have been disappointing. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your view. Is Boris Johnson right to question the British work ethic? 08459 We'll discuss it on the big phone-in. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five is the telephone number. Excuse me, I've got to play one of these again. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sorry, Jonathan um, made uh, an inappropriate gesture as he left the studio and he just caught me off, uh, off guard there. Now, Sainsbury's has been accused of strangling prime retail space in the centre of Milton Keynes by holding on to a building it vacated four years ago. Residents and councils have expressed concern that the store's former shop in the food centre has been left empty since the new store in town opened in 2008. With Waitrose now vacating the centre, it's feared the food centre is seen as unattractive by retailers. Well, Conservative councillor David Hopkins is deputy leader of Milton Keynes Council and in charge of Enterprise. Morning, David. Good morning to you. David, what effect is this having on this part of Milton Keynes? Well, it, it is it, it, undoubtedly it's having a negative effect on part of Milton Keynes. The, the food centre was an integral part of the initial design. Uh, since Sainsbury's moved out, it has looked rather sad. There's no denying, and uh, we'd be very keen to work with uh, the owners of the, uh, the shopping centre to, uh, to to fully integrate that part of the centre into the uh, into the overall scheme. Do we know why Sainsbury's are leaving that that plot vacant? Uh, they're, they're paying the rents and the rates. They're doing nothing illegal, but it seems an odd an odd decision to. Make. Do we know why they're doing it? Well, I've not had um, personal conversations with Sainsbury's, but one would imagine they're doing it because they've opened a new site, a very successful site in a different part of the uh, of the city, and I presume uh, it's worth their while to keep the uh, the other site, their former site, unoccupied to prevent uh, levels of competition. And what's the council's view on that? That, that, that a, 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 a supermarket giant like Sainsbury's could effectively kill off part of the town just for their own selfish interests? Well, I've put it in a very emotive terms. I mean, it's a co- commercial decision between Sainsbury's and the owner of the... It's, a, it's an emotive uh, subject. A lot of people are saying it, it ruins that part of Milton Keynes. And I would agree with that. And we're working very closely with the, as I say, the shopping centre management organisation, the people who own the centre, to uh, fully integrate a, uh, the food centre and the leisure plaza, actually, uh, in a scheme which takes full account of the centre moving forward. We want to see great things for central Milton Keynes, and we um, published our supplementary planning document for CMK in January of this year, and the local Parish Council, uh, producing its own uh, neighbourhood business plan, uh, working with us very closely as well to, um, to, 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 to see that integration takes place. So what is your plan for the food centre? Well, the, 
the plan for the food centre is actually a plan for the whole of that part of, uh, of Milton Keynes. The shopping centre was opened in 1979, as you're aware, um, and needs now, I think, a degree of refresh. It needs to reinvent itself to become uh, the great competitive part of, the, uh, of Milton Keynes that it once was and can be again. So what we're looking to do is to uh, get a plan together that actually integrates that part of central Milton Keynes uh, with the rest of the shopping centre, with the leisure plaza, to make an offering in 2013-2014, which is very much in tune with what people want and need to so what can people expect to see then? It's, it, 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 it's very exciting that you've got plans for it, but I'm not hearing specifics, David. Well, we've now taken over part of the assets of what was the formerly the Homes and Communities Agency, so part of that area, not the, not the food centre itself, but part of that area is actually now under our control. So we're, we're, we're very keen to sit, and, uh, sit down and work with the, um, the freeholders of the rest of the centre to actually come together with an integrated plan and to bring Sainsbury's to the table as well to make it worth their while uh, to vacate their lease and to, and to move forward. And the irony is, of course, we did uh, actually inherit the, the food centre um, from the Milton Keynes Development Corporation and that a, a, a previous administration, a Labour administration, sold the centre in its dash for cash in the 1990s. We'd be in a much stronger position if we still had that control. David, when are these talks going to take place with all the con- interested parties? Have you got well, a date? No, we haven't got a date. We're, ah. we're very keen to get everybody around the table. As I say, we, we published our supplementary planning document in, uh, in January. You'll be yep. aware there was a, a planning application for the Seclo Gate area which was turned down only a few weeks ago. We've, we've invited everybody to come and sit around the table with us, um, and we have some very positive responses, but we haven't got a date yet. David, this afternoon or this morning, could you not just phone up Sainsbury's and, and say, come on, what, what, what's going on here? This is unfair. What can we do to sort this out? Give them, give them a phone call. Well, I'd be delighted to talk to Sainsbury's, and, and uh, you know, my, uh, my people and their people have had discussions, as it were. But the, at the end of the day, it is a commercial decision between Sainsbury's and the owners of the site. We, we are influencers. We are not dictators uh, to the future of the site. We want to pull together a strategic plan for that part of Milton Keynes, and that's what we're keen to do. OK, we'll, we'll end it there. That's the Conservative Councillor David Hopkins, Deputy Leader of Milton Keynes Council. Sounds exciting. They've got plans for that area. Wonderful. Rejuvenation. Inject life into it. I couldn't quite work out what those plans were, though. Was that just me being a little bit stupid this morning? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. After the uh, the story that one woman, a sixty seven year old woman, was handcuffed when she was refused uh, to uh, access to her medical records. I've been asking, ever asked to see your medical records, Lynn's in Hemel. Lynn, you you have asked to see your medical records, and you found something rather shocking. <laughs> yes, slightly. I was being, I'd been referred they, they, to... They, they, didn't, they didn't write F-A-W, did they? No, they okay, didn't. Good. that's something, that's something. <laughs> well, I, I think they probably did and sort of deleted it before okay. they gave me the copy. Well, what did they say I, about you? I loved that comment, it made me laugh. He was good, wasn't he, that doctor? He was brilliant. Um, well, I got, I, like an idiot, I was going to refer to a surgeon and I phoned the doctors and said, can I have a copy of my records to take to the surgeon? which on reflection was stupid, because if he'd have wanted them, he'd have asked for them. But I took, I got these print, a printout from the computer, and according to this printout, I've had two heart attacks. Excuse me? I've had two heart attacks. How are you feeling after those two heart attacks? I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> you nearly had a third one. <laughs> I nearly had a third one. And I, when I went to see my doctor, I said to him, well, it's the first I've ever heard of it. Although I was in hospital once and had an ECG, yeah. and the doctor said to me, oh, you've had a heart attack, and I thought it was a question, so I said, no. He said, you have, you've got scarring on your heart. And it also said I'd had a couple of epileptic fits. 
And th- you had you had actually had these heart attacks and these fits. Yeah. But no, I've no one had told heart- you at the time. No, I've got scarring on my heart, and it proves that I've had a heart attack. Now, Lynn, can I ask you a question? And please don't be yeah. offended. I are, won't. Are you a little bit dippy? Is there a chance that maybe they told you and you just forgot because there was something good on TV? Deal or no deal was on. <laughs> No, is that possible? I, I, I promise you. So you, doc- looked, you, you you actually had had these, these the heart attacks yeah, and, and epileptic the, fits? I've got the thing in front of me. And the doctor did say, when I went to the doctor, obviously I was deeply concerned. You would be. Because I spent weeks thinking, oh my God, I'm going to drop dead at any second. I mean, I'm yes. 58, so yeah. it's not, not inconceivable. And he said, you can have heart attacks and know nothing about it. Oh, Lynn, don't you've made me... Lynn, I've got to end it there, partly because we're running out of time, partly because you've made me feel all uncomfortable. I think everybody in their cars or at home or at work is slightly clutching their chest, just feeling a little bit... Really? Lynn has had two heart attacks and epileptic fits and didn't know anything about it until she looked at her medical records. Wow. Ever looked at your medical records? 08459 455 555. And if you're a doctor... Come on, give us a call. Let be, be honest. Let me know those sneaky little things, those uh, abbreviations you would write about your patients. We've already worked out what FAW means. Something all wrong. Is uh, I, I can't even begin to explain it again. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Here's Adam Glynn with the travel. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. To the A1 going southbound, looking slow at the Black Cat Roundabout. So as you come toward the Great Barford Bypass, expect traffic to look quite slow. It's busy southbound on the M1 as well, with traffic still not easing yet this morning between Junction 13 at Bedford and 12 at Flittick. Anti-clockwise M25, it's more solid of queue than it was. Junction 20 at Kings Langley all the way round to 15 at the M4. Not helped by that car fire, of course, near to Junction 16 earlier this morning. As you get in toward London, queues on the A1 between Apex Corner and Mill Hill Circus. We had the accident in Arkley along Barnet Road, the A411 near Rowley Green Road. And East Midlands trains reporting delays of up to 15 minutes from Leicester through to St Pancras because of a signalling problem between Leicester and Market Harbour. Could have a few late-running trains through Luton and Bedford as a result of that. Looking at Milton Keynes Central, we've had one cancellation. The 847 service down to London Euston cancelled because a member of the train crew is unavailable. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thanks, Adam. 8.32, here's the news and sport now with Serena Farrow. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Bedfordshire Police has apologised to Biggleswade woman for handcuffing her. She was protesting because she wasn't allowed to see her medical notes. Elsewhere, residents of Milton Keynes Council say an empty store which Sainsbury previously occupied is detrimental to the local economy. A looter woman's warning people about a telephone scam which involves people handing over their bank details. And the Mayor of London is bestowing foreign workers with praise as some business owners have admitted only employing Eastern Europeans for their hard-working attitude. Well, the JVS show is asking, is Boris Johnson right to question the British work ethic? Stay listening to hear more on this from nine this morning. That's the latest. Now let's turn to all the morning sport. 
Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. The Watford boss says he's happy they're in a comfortable position ahead of their next match on the road to Peterborough this week. It comes after Saturday's goalless draw at home to Championship leaders Cardiff. Turning to League One now and hopes for making the playoffs remain slim after MK Dons were unable to get a win at the weekend. They had a goalless draw as well against visitors Crawley. But with the strength of his side, manager Carl Robinson's still hopeful. I think the way we've been this year with these players coming back fit, um, I had to make changes once again with Pauli because they weren't fit to finish the games off. But the group looks stronger and stronger and I think they're only going to get better and better. Um, I just don't hope it's not too late. Elsewhere in League One, Stevenage remain unbeaten under the returning manager after a draw against Portsmouth. It does give Borough a second consecutive clean sheet though. And Luton are staying in the conference. The 5-1 defeat at Gateshead sealed their fate. It puts them mathematically out of reach of the playoffs. However, assistant manager Terry Harris says the remaining games are still important. These games now uh, have been all about really us having the opportunity to look at the players we have looking at players that are elsewhere that could come in and be beneficial to for, for Luton Town Football Club. Certainly for us to look at players and also for players to put a case forward for them. Rugby now and Saracens are through to their second Heineken Cup semi. They beat Ulster 27 points to 16 last night. And in other sporting news, Manchester United have signed a multi-million pound deal with the company to name their training facilities. The deal with the insurer Aon is the first of its kind. And the winning jockey in the Grand National, Ryan Mania, is to have a precautionary scan in hospital. He injured his neck and back in a fall at Hexham yesterday. BBC Three Counties Radio, more from me at nine. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 455 555. Have you been to the doctors and asked to see your medical records? You can do it. Some may charge you a tenner, some probably won't. I'm keen to have a look now. I'm keen to find out what, what they're writing about me. They use anacronyms. There's little, uh, uh, why is my brain frozen? Um, abbreviations, that's... <laughs> you see, who knows what they're going to write about me. Abbreviations, some of them are quite rude. F-A-W. I can't, I can't explain. We, we kind of got away with it earlier on. It's got a swear word in it. Flip all wrong. There we go. I think I can get away with that. They write that sometimes. If you're a doctor, I want to know what you've written. 08459 455 555. And scams. A Luton woman wants to warn you about a telephone scam. We'll hear her story next. And the Daily Telegraph has suggested on its... Lots to cram in in the last 30 minutes or so. The Daily Telegraph suggests on its front page that the price of a first-class stamp could rise to £1 within three years. The warning comes from the campaign group Save Our Royal Mail. Would it bother you if the price went up, I think, a pound to send a letter from St Albans to Glasgow? That sounds perfectly reasonable. Well, Justin Dealey has been in Bedford finding out. 08459 455 555 if you want to take part. Don is from Wickham. Good morning, Don. Hi, Ian. You, you've, you've got another um, abbreviation from doctors, yeah, have you? Yes, I have. It's, um, it's Bundy. Bundy? Yeah. What, 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 is it clean? Can you say it on the radio? It, it, it is clean, yes. Uh, but unfortunately, not dead yet. Uh, <laughs> say it again. But unfortunately, <laughs> not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know about this, Don? Um, it, there was a big. It was, it was in the in the news um, a number of years ago. Maybe that's because the, there was one I knew. Maybe that that rings a bell. Maybe that was the one I heard of. They're very sneaky, these doctors, aren't they? 
Absolutely. They must have hated it the day that it became legal to, um, to, to, for people to ask to see their medical records. Have you ever done it, Don? Have you ever stormed into your doctors and hit the desk with your fist and said, I demand to see my medical history? No, I probably wouldn't be able to read it anyway. Yeah, well, they've got the the worst handwriting. Don, thank you for that. I'm tempted to do it. Can someone go and do it for us today and and report back tomorrow? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Now, when you dial 999 because you believe you've been the victim of credit card fraud, you think you're safe. You think you're talking to the emergency services. But criminals are clever enough now to trick you into thinking... You're talking to the emergency services. This happened to one woman from Luton, Sylvia Edwards, who spoke to our reporter, Justin Dealey. I got this phone call from this gentleman who said or claimed he was from Barclays Fraud Department. He told me to look on the back of my debit card and there would be a number of lost and stolen to report and there was indeed and he said I should ring that number and ask for Mr Diwani so I rang the number and asked Mr Diwani and I got put through to this gentleman who said that my card had been um, used in Selfridges for, to the tune of a thousand pound and also in Argus to the tune of a thousand pound but they'd apprehended the people and they had them in custody so I needed they needed to act quick because they could only hold them for a few hours so I should go down to my bank and draw out £6,000. And I said, well, I can't do that. Mm. And it's now 20 to 5. I said, my bank would be closed anyway. Well, I didn't go to my bank. And I just left it. And they rang back about quarter past five. And they said, well, have you got the money? And I said, no, the bank was closed. I didn't get the money. And going back, recapping a little bit on it, when they, I spoke to them in the afternoon, they said that I should dial 999 if I didn't believe them. And so I did dial 999 and they said, when you get through, say it's not really an emergency, but you want to speak to an Amos Roy at the Charing Cross Fraud Squad. So this is what I did. And again, I've got another Indian gentleman who said, um, yes, we've been waiting for your call and this is definitely true. Your card has been used and we have got the suspects in custody. And so go back to speak to this gentleman at um, Barclays Fraud Squad. So I did. I phoned them back. And he said, now, I must know that I'm speaking to Mrs. Edwards. So I need to do a security check with you. So he asked me my date of birth, um, my mother's maiden name, what regular payments I make. So straight away now he's got all my security details. So then he said, since you couldn't get the money out of the bank he said what you do have you got a plain envelope I said yes and he said put the cards because I've got two accounts with Mark he said, put the cards into an envelope with two bank statements from each account and a courier will call to collect it so in about 15 minutes so 15 minutes pass and sure enough got another call he's outside it appeared to be a minicab and I handed him with my stupidity the envelope with my bank statements and the cards. Now, by this point, you were in a panic and yes, you were I doubting was. yourself. I was. So you phoned your son. You, you couldn't speak to your son, but you spoke to his partner. What did she say to you? She said, um, oh, I think it's, you've been scammed. I said, what do you mean? I said, oh, no. She said, you haven't given them yet. I said, yes, they've just taken them about yeah. five minutes ago. So she said, look, I've got the number. I look up them quickly. I said, I can't look up the number of anything. But this time I was... Hysterical. So she got the number of the police. She said, don't ring on your house phone, ring on the mobile. So I rang Bedfordshire Police on the mobile and they 
said, well, ring Barclays Bank. I said, I can't because they've got all my details. So happily, there was somebody there that knew that the helpline number. And I quickly rang them, gave them this sorry, sorry story. And she said, don't tell me you've given them your cards and your bank statements. Yeah. She said, quick, let me check. Nothing's gone out. Nothing's gone out from your account. Of either of your accounts, I'm going to block it. Well, it's an incredible story, and it's the, 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 the barefaced cheek of some of these people. Joined now by a very, very naughty man, Paul Wilson, who presents the BBC's Real Hustle. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. You, and you are a naughty man, aren't you? Well, I pretend to be a naughty man, but I always give everything back. You and, do. Uh, Many years ago, I, I, you won't remember this, I came and did a celebrity hustle with you, and it was, it was incredible what you can get away with by wearing um, a, a yellow a fluorescent tabard. We broke into a lady's house yeah. pretending to be uh, from the waterboard and nicked everything. It's incredible what people will believe, isn't it? It is, but remember how dreadful we felt afterwards. I mean, <laughs> that's... I got told off. I got interviewed, and they said, right, if you can just do a piece to camera and just tell us how you feel. And I went, oh, my God, that was amazing. That was such a rush. And they went, yeah, could you do it again, but with a bit of remorse, please? <laughs> well, have you heard about this kind of scam where, where, where people phone up and say, listen, if you don't believe us, call 999. They'll verify everything. Uh, yes. Yes, I have. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things that works for scams is giving people um, some some form of safety net which you've built yourself mm. so you know everybody says how could you fall for that you you know you must have been foolish or you must have been naive but good con artists know exactly what you're going to ask and are ready for it and they in this case what they've done is you know without giving away exactly how they've done it they've basically given you the ability to verify their story through a very well-known source which of course 999 has got to be the most well-known mm. number in the country so, you know, you can listen to that lady's story, and, and if you were to come in halfway through, you'd think, well, why would she fall for that? But remember, she dialed 999. Mm. She was talking to the police as far as she was concerned. But they, you know, they have intercepted that call, and, and she is talking still to those same people. And these people are very clever. They, you know, they really roll out the red carpet. They, they do all the voices. They pretend they're a receptionist. They say, oh, yes, let me, I'll just see if I can find him for mm-hmm. you. They, they play their parts well, don't they? Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I keep saying this, I say it every time, you, we must stop blaming the victim for being a victim of a very clever charade. And you have a, you have a lady here, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the lady on the phone, she certainly f- sounds very sensible. She absolutely did the right thing um, at the end of the day by verifying the story with somebody she knows. And that, of course, led to the cards being blocked. And that's one of the reasons why, one of the first things these people say, especially when targeting the elderly is, you know, you shouldn't talk to your family about this because they're going to, and then they give some story about why they shouldn't do it. Mm. Um, you know, the fact that she, she did that means that even though she was caught up in the web of the scam, when she was giving away her details and then giving away the actual cards, the first thing she did afterwards, she didn't just trust that, she verified it and, and did absolutely the right thing. But, you know, th- these scams just keep happening and keep changing and growing and and, you know, the, the only real way to protect the public is for the public to do two things. One is to to be informed whenever a scam like this comes up. I mean, the more people find out about this, the better. And then to sort of think about, you know, obviously we always say it's, it's a very old saying. It's over 100 years old. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Mm. But you have to stop and think about that. And if you're caught up in something, especially if someone's playing you, and, you know, and once they've got the right tune... 
and you're dancing along, it's quite hard to stop and go, wait a minute. They've stopped me from talking to my relatives. They've made me do this very quickly. They've come up with a story that made me panic and act, you know. Someone tells you that your cards have been compromised and someone spent 2,000 pounds of your money. The first thing you'll want to do is something about it. Mm. They, they give you that. And these scams are evolving, aren't they? I think we're all pretty wise to the Nigerian prince who wants to get $80 million out of his, um, his country and he's going to give you 25%. They are evolving and becoming cleverer, aren't they? They all evolve. You know, in, in America, they actually have some commercials where, you know, um, somebody sits down at a table dressed as a Nigerian prince and gives the story. And, of course, it seems so ridiculous and... You know, it's a commercial for, for credit card protection. But, you know, just a couple of years ago, one of the, the networks there asked me if I could do the Nigerian Prince scam on somebody today. And I said, sure, we've been doing it for 500 years. All we have to do is rewrite it. Mm. And that's exactly what we did. We rewrote it, created exactly the same scam with a different backstory. Um, we did it in person rather than over the Internet. And we did it with someone who was a very smart, very shrewd businessman. And, uh, and we caught him. But he was a lot of work. I mean, we had to give him a lot of stories. But afterwards, he said, it felt like you were tailoring a suit mm. to me. Not everything was perfect, because then I wouldn't have gone for it. It felt like you basically had my sizes worked out, and you know, knew exactly where to put the buttons and press them. And I thought that was a great way of putting it. And that's just what a good con artist will do if he wants to get somebody in particular so he, if he wants to get you, Ian, he'll figure out exactly what buttons to press. But what happens today is we have the Internet. We have a very easy way of getting to millions of people. So now we create something that comes right off the rack, and whoever it fits is, is who they take the money from. Paul, we have to end it there. Always a pleasure. Paul Wilson from BBC's Real Hustle. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Travel news now. Here's Adam Glynn. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. And starting with a quick look at the trains, we've still got delays of up to 15 minutes being reported for East Midlands train services running between Leicester and St Pancras. They've got a signalling problem between Leicester and Market Harbour. It means you could have a few late runners coming through Luton and Bedford. The A1 looking slow at the Black Cat roundabout. Then again, once you get into London, it's very busy between Apex Corner and Mill Hill Circus. The M1 hasn't eased off yet southbound from Bedford through to Flitwick. Still a bit of a queue there. And the M25 anti-clockwise is slow from Kings Langley at Junction 20 round to the M4 at Junction 15. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much indeed. Right, 8.47, it's Monday the 8th of April. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Bedfordshire woman has been handcuffed for trying to access her full medical reports. Police later apologised for their intrusive manner. Residents of Milton Keynes Council say an empty store, which Sainsbury's previously occupied, is detrimental to the local economy. And in sport, Saracens are through to their second Heineken Cup semi-final after beating Ulster last night. Coming up, Bedford's in line for a tourism boost if the town can lay claim to the burial place of the Saxon King Offer, according to local residents. We'll hear more before nine. But let's get the latest weather now. Here's Kate Kinsella. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Well, it's a bit of a different feel to the day than we had over the weekend. A touch of spring over the weekend today. It's a lot colder. Temperatures outside at the moment ranging between freezing and 3 Celsius. So parts of the three counties we have got still the odd pocket of frost. One or two showers as well, though, I'm afraid, already starting to move in through parts of West Hertfordshire, for example. And these are going to come and go through the course of the day. Some brightness out there. We're seeing a bit of hazy sunshine from time to time, but a predominantly cloudy picture and a breeze one too, a rather cold easterly breeze developing as we head through the day leading temperatures to struggle. Maximum temperatures 8 Celsius, 46 degrees in Fahrenheit. Still one or two isolated showers around first thing this evening but they will dry out leading to a predominantly cloudy night. One or two clearer spells that will allow the temperature to drop but early hours of tomorrow morning through to dawn the cloud will thicken. Minimum temperature down to 1 Celsius, that's 34 degrees in Fahrenheit. For tomorrow, one or two spots of rain around occasional showers. Uh, there's a weather system moving northwards towards us. By the time it gets to us, though, it's broken up, so the rain is more sporadic. Temperature-wise, tomorrow is still struggling because that brisk east northeasterly wind will continue to persist. We're looking at a maximum of just 7 Celsius. That's 45 degrees in Fahrenheit. And that's your forecast. Thank you very much. Now, Bedford is in line for a tourism boost if the town can lay claim to the burial place of the Saxon King Offer, according to local residents. Eric and Richard Compton say the recent enthusiasm of several cities to associate themselves with Richard III shows the potential in establishing a link with a key historical figure. King Offer is rumoured to have been buried by the riverbank in Bedford, as our reporter Justin Dealey tried to find, uh, find out when he spoke to Richard Compton earlier this morning. King Offer was buried in Bedford, there's no doubt about it. There is strong evidence here. It's just a matter of finding it. I think basically, right, history has gone down here in one way or another, okay, but this is one way to invigorate, especially something for this town. There's no doubt about it. You know, I've done enough research now to look into getting maybe like a diving team involved. But let's have some action now. Let's try and put something a bit positive into town. Let's bring back history, the history mark of Bethel again. We are talking a very big job, though, but we have to start from somewhere. It's like anything in life, okay? We need to put the investment into it. Let's try it. Let's see what's out there. Let's try and gain the evidence. We have to be positive about it. And I think it's a great start. Well, we can speak now to independent Bedford Borough Councillor Doug McMurdo, who's the council's portfolio holder for leisure and culture. Good morning, Doug. Uh, good morning. What do you make of these local connections with King Offer? Well, I think they're uh, remarkable. And uh, if we could get some evidence that was absolutely clear, then I'm sure the uh, local community and the local council would do something to try and establish it. But I do regret, you know, drawing comparisons to Richard III and that amazing find up in Leicester, you know, we're talking of uh, many hundreds of years apart. You know, 1452 uh, to 1485 was Richard III. We're actually going back to 796 when uh, King Offa died. Now, there's no evidence, and I have to state there is no clear evidence. The the nearest we can get to it was back in uh, the 1200s when a Matthew Paris, uh, a chronicler, actually wrote about the death and burial of King Offa, and he does in his account suggest it was in Bedford, but no specific location. Uh, the word uh, near to the Grey Twos and near to Bedford is, is used frequently in um, you know many many uh, accounts of this. If there was, if if there was a direct link and that, that could be established between Bedford and King Offa, is what benefits are there for for a town? Is, is there a bit of cash? Is it a money spinner? 
Well, like any um, history and any, uh, uh, you know, cities like York, for example, you know, they have great uh, tourist uh, uh, attractions there just with the history. Uh, St Albans, just down uh, south of the county, you know, with that amazing cathedral there. I mean, certainly these things can attract uh, uh, a lot of tourists. But, uh, you know, we will quite soon, uh, on the 21st of June, be opening, reopening the Higgins uh, Bedford, uh, the Borough Council's Museum and Art Gallery, and, and we've got lots and lots of history in and around uh, the, the town of Bedford. Now, this is on the site of the Bedford Riverside Development, which some people are saying is a little bit controversial. Could this be a ploy just to cause problems to that? Well, like any development, and I'm not going to talk about Riverside North specifically, any development that's in or around uh, an area that there is any suspicion of archaeological remains, it's incumbent on the developer to carry out proper and thorough tests. So uh, the Riverside North, uh, just to mention that and just to take it out of the equation, that will be subject to very, very clear um, uh, studies. Okay, we have to end it there. That's Bedford Borough Councillor Doug McMurdo. Thank you very much indeed. Paul from Flittick. Uh, Paul, you've... Paul, sorry, hello, yes? Yes, hello. You're right. Who are you talking to then? Um, your, um, your other half. Oh, <laughs> a work experience Ollie is not my other half. I can assure you that my wife will be horrified okay. to think I was dating a 19-year-old boy. Now, again. Right. Now, Paul, what's, what have you got about King Offer? Well, um, the only King Offer I ever knew was when I was brought up, well, I lived in St Albans, and there's a King Offer in St Albans, in the Cottmill, Cottmill Estate. And that's called the King Offer, and that's been there since... Well, obviously, I'm over over 50 and was there when I was 17, 16. Um, why has it been called the King Offer? So there's there's a pub that's called the King yeah. Offer, and that yeah, must there mean there is a historical connection. Well, from Bedford to St Albans, I don't know, is there? Uh, well, I, I, I don't know. To, to no. be honest, apart, did you, were you aware of who King Offer was, apart from a boozer? No. Uh, this is the thing. This no. is the problem, I think, because people are saying, "Oh, it's like Richard the Third. Shakespeare didn't write about King Offer. No, not many people know who he is." Well, I've heard of Richard the Third. Yeah, obviously, because he was king. But well, Offer was a king as well, Paul. <laughs> Paul, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there with the memories of the pub, just because I need to squeeze in Justin Dealey. Justin Dealey, good morning, sir. Hello, Ian. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely fine. Now, listen, we, we've got you on because the Daily Telegraph is suggesting that first-class stamps could go up to a quid. I kind of think that's not bad value. If you post it... Where are you now, Justin? I'm in Bedford. I've been looking right. for King Offer. Now I'm talking stamps. <laughs> if you posted a letter from Bedford to Glasgow, and it, a, a quid seems like perfectly good value to me. But if you posted a letter from Bedford to Luton, would it then be good value for money? At the get, same price, of course. Get the bus. You've been out and about asking people about this, haven't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, some, some interesting views. I'm in Bedford this morning. I've been asking people, is a pound too much? And this is what they had to say. Sir, one pound for a first-class stamp, if it was to go up to a pound, is that just way too much? If it was local, it would be quite a lot of money. But if it means the post office has to survive, what is the alternative? you prefer to pay that price as long as that service stayed open and you in actual fact think if it was going to Scotland or somewhere like that a pound might represent good value for money? I would have thought so, yes, mm. every time. Now Bill, you send quite a lot of letters. If the price of a first class stamp went up to a pound, how would that make you feel? Well, I think it's disgraceful really that it's that price. I think really that uh, uh, they ought to think of it again themselves more efficient 
at one time years ago you, you had the, the post first thing in the morning now it can be any time mm. so but if it was to go up to a pound would that put you off writing letters to friends yes and it would it would definitely put me off we already cut down on Christmas cards and Easter cards because of the price of, uh, mm. of the stamps. Already? Already, yes. Yeah. So we don't get any more increases, no. OK, well, what is your message to Royal Mail this morning, then? Because clearly you're concerned about this, you're not happy about it, you no. use the word disgraceful. What is your message to them this morning? They're to get their act together and be more efficient and competent and try and not increase the price, but bring the price down, if anything, but certainly not, not increase it. So you send quite a lot of letters. A pound, is that too much? No, it's not too much. Not for me. It might be for some people. But I like to receive cards and letters, so I just feel it's nice to return them rather than electronically. So even if it went up to a pound, you'd still carry on as normal? It certainly wouldn't put you off sending any letters like you do at the moment? No, not at all. Okay, thank you very much indeed for your time. Sir, what's your name? Jim. Jim, a pound, is that too much? It could be too much for some people. Um, I don't send all that many letters. As I mentioned to you, I do a lot of my correspondence by email, so Mm. it's hardly too much for me, and a lot of official correspondence has um, an automatic report a free post reply but I think for some people uh, uh, people on low wages who want to send postcards and birthday cards to uh, their grandchildren and things like that it can be a little bit problematic Justin do you send many letters? Oh, Justin, sorry, you're there. Do you send many letters? Well, I was thinking about this earlier. I cannot remember the last time I sent a letter, even at Christmas time. A lot of it now is on email. I honestly can't remember, genuinely, the last time I sent a letter. I had to post some uh, car insurance documents last week. I'd have paid a quid for it. And I don't send Christmas cards. I don't send birthday cards. I think they're a a con. Uh, (laughs) They are. They're complete... Oh, that's lovely of you. Yeah, <laughs> that's such a con. I'm not going to spend five yeah. quid on a on a birthday card for goodness uh. sakes. I'll buy I'll buy a nicer present. But right. I just think people have to realise everything is going up and going up from sixty pence to a pound. I don't mm-hmm. I don't see a problem with that. I, I mean, most people there didn't have a problem with it. But, it, but you heard the words of the bill there. He sends a lot of cards already. The price at sixty pence. That's putting him off sending Christmas cards and Easter cards. So if it went up to a pound, of course he wouldn't have that regular contact with his friends and family with the lessons that would certainly affect his life Justin Dealey excellent stuff as always thank you very much uh, indeed don't forget if you want to get in touch with me when I'm off air ian.lee at bbc.co.uk ian.lwe at bbc.co.uk travel news now here's Adam Blinn Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. And looking at the speed sensors, it's still slow on the M1, southbound from Junction 13 at Bedford to 12 at Flittick. M25 anti-clockwise, heavy traffic approaching the roadworks. So coming from Essex, Junction 26 at Waltham Abbey through to 25 at Enfield, the A10 junction, and then on into the roadworks. Of course, we've got the 50 mile an hour restriction. Then once you're out of the works, it's queuing from Junction 19 at Watford to 16 at the M40. The A1 still looking slow at the Black Cat roundabout. The A1M is now looking busy from Junction 4 at Hartford through to 3 at St Albans. If you're going in toward London on the A1 though, things starting to ease off between Apex Corner and Mill Hill Circus. And good news in Arkley because the Barnet Road is now clear at Rowley Green Road. Delays on the trains though, up to 15 minutes worth. East Midlands trains, Leicester's at St Pancras because of a signalling problem. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much Adam. That's it from me today. Back tomorrow at 6. JVS is up next. Until tomorrow, ta-ta. 
getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JVS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Monday. And on today's big phone-in, I'm asking, is Boris Johnson right to question the British workers?